we are live we are good to go another and you dig it yeah, <laughs> <thank> you. <laughs> another episode of the union of the unwanted hosted by myself ricky Vrans from ripple effect podcast sam tripoli from tinfoil hat podcast charlie robinson from macro aggressions and uh midnight mike who's not with us tonight hopefully he'll jump in but uh if not midnight mike from the obdm show and we're doing a whole show on bitcoin and cryptocurrency it's it's kind of funny how this all works out sam and and a bunch of us were in a group text message about what we're gonna do for the next theme of the union of the unwanted and he's like we should do one on crypto we should and from the time we decided that to now it just seemed like the timing w- was perfect so uh first thanks everybody who's joining us i really appreciate you guys taking time to, to join us on this chat and uh so i want to go into we talked about it briefly before we went live about some of uh, people who are listening some newbies who aren't too familiar with cryptocurrency a lot of people are asking uh just common questions that might be obvious to to us but to a lot of people who, who aren't familiar with it they're asking like how does it keep its value what exactly is a cryptocurrency is bitcoin all cryptocurrencies is there more than one cryptocurrency all those type of basic questions so oh <laughs> i can hear max starting to boil over there that there's many different cryptos i think he thinks there's only one crypto max kaiser how are you want to jump in and uh kind of get kick the party off yeah yeah thanks guys sure 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 so well bitcoin is is unique bitcoin is very special there are a lot of other coins out there but nothing competes with bitcoin and nothing is as special as bitcoin and nothing will have the price appreciation that we'll see with bitcoin and the history of bitcoin you know before it was launched you had programmers trying to create bitcoin for 20 years so the projects was trying to do it for 20 years to create effectively digital gold and there were many attempts and many failures and then in 2009 we had bitcoin and it was a success and the creator satoshi nakamoto is anonymous which is a good thing because because when you create a currency like this when you create a, a value a store value like this you're going to run into trouble with the authorities and the state authorities and people who support the old system and the fiat money systems and a couple of people who were involved in creating the precursors of bitcoin some of them got into legal trouble and of course since the whole thing is based on encryption encryption itself is a very um, subversive technology that the state 
the, the regulators and the authorities, they don't want individuals to have encryption. They don't like encrypted messaging. You know, they're trying to build backdoors into encrypted messaging on all devices. And we want to resist that, of course, because we have the right to privacy. And uh, this is encryption meets money. And that's what makes it so powerful. Uh, it's, uh, it separates state from money. So that's the first time that's ever happened in history. Uh, and it's unconfiscatable. So there's no way that the state can coerce me to give up any of my Bitcoin. And then what we're seeing now is because it is like gold and it is a store of value, a lot of companies like Tesla or MicroStrategy that have a lot of cash on their balance sheet, they're realizing that the smartest thing they can do is to put that into Bitcoin because it's gonna go up a, a tremendously as the central banks, including the Federal Reserve Bank, they really are in a situation where they, they, they won't stop printing trillions and trillions of dollars now. They're kind of, they're, they put themselves in a very vicious trap where they, they can't stop printing. So uh, therefore things that uh, like Bitcoin, which is absolute scarcity of 21 million coins, are, are gonna do extremely well. Uh, gold and silver, of course, in that kind of environment, do okay as well, but not, and it's not going to do anywhere near as good as uh, Bitcoin. Uh, so anyway, that's some some of the introductory notes. If that kicks things off, uh, one thing I wanted to say was I heard you were talking about how you felt there was like a spiritual side of crypt of uh, Bitcoin. And uh, one thing I had a guest on talking about how like some of the when when Bitcoin makes a jump, it's almost connected to uh, the human vibration, almost like when the humanity is kind of taking a turn for positive. You see that Bitcoin kind of takes a jump up. I know it sounds like some new age woo woo, but you were kind of talking about that before, Max, about it's almost like the second coming of Jesus in a weird way. Right. Well, okay, let's let's kind of get get into that for a little bit. So, there's actually a lot of logic to it. And uh, you look at what Bitcoin right now it competes with fiat money or paper money or state money, right? In the United States, we have the US dollar, and obviously there's the euro, the yen, uh, Chinese currency. And these are all currencies that um, as, as, as Paul Krugman at the New York Times, who's uh, their economist and a very Nobel Prize winner and, and very uh, often quoted liberal, um, he, he would ask, well, what backs the U.S. dollar? He said, men with guns. And of course, that's true because the, the piece of paper that is the dollar, it has no value other than the fact that um, the, the U.S. government can coerce you to use it to, to pay taxes and things like that under a threat of violence. Also, uh, other countries around the world, US dollar is a world reserve currency, they coerce countries to use dollars. Uh, all commodities, by the way, as a result of uh, the Bretton Woods Agreement after World War II, are traded in US dollars. If, if a country wants to buy oil, for example, they have to buy dollars first and then buy oil. So Japan, which is oil dependent, uh, the importation of oil, they, they are a huge buyer of dollars because that's the only way they can buy energy. And the US foreign policy has always been, well, if you don't accept dollars, then we're gonna invade and we're gonna kill lots of people. 
and they've seen that quite spectacularly in Iraq and Libya and most recently, but that's been the policy for decades now. Uh, John Perkins wrote an excellent book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman, where he was actually working for the CIA, and his job was to go into countries, and if, particularly in South America, if they weren't playing along to, with this game, then the CIA would, would kill you. He'd throw you out of an airplane, this type of thing. So that's the fact about fiat money. It has no value itself, so the only way people will use it is if under threat of violence. Now let's look at Bitcoin. Bitcoin is actually the only way that you can get any of my Bitcoin because it's unconfiscatable. The only way you can get any of it is if you offer me something in trade that I want. You cannot violently extract my Bitcoin. If you come to me and say, here's a piece of art or here's something I want and I want and we'll do a trade with Bitcoin, that that's a peaceful transaction. That's based on peace. That's based on mutual understanding. We have an interaction, we're trading, and you're happy, I'm happy, I got something I wanted, and we established a price based on Bitcoin. So that, that's inherently a more peaceful currency or peaceful transaction. And if you have a whole world that suddenly is transacting in something that's not violence-based, like fiat money, then you have... Uh, you know, almost a Jesus Christ-like moment where suddenly the idea of peaceful interaction is the dominant theme. And so that would have a huge impact on humanity as a whole. Um, so that, that's where we're going with this. That's why Bitcoin has a spiritual element to it because it's non-coercive. It promotes peace in this way. Um, and, and so think about this. All of that violence, of course, begets tremendous amount of fear. You know, people are in constant fear of violence. Uh, when you get rid of the violence, you get rid of the fear. So what fills that vacuum in your soul when you take away all that fear? It's going to be love. So now you've got a world that's just brimming with love. What would happen? I mean, this is an amazing moment in history. If Bitcoin becomes the global standard, we're going to have a huge global consciousness shift, which is going to be um, profound, remarkable. And that's where that spiritual element comes from. That's, that's the genesis of it. I'd also like to add to um, everybody knows about like the astro astrological movements of the actual polar star being pointed to a different constellation over time. And right now we're kind of in the cusp between uh, Pisces and Aquarius. And if you start noticing at the end of this age, we start having the Renaissance, the age of enlightenment. And really a lot of that took the authority away from the state, right? And they gave people the ability to verify information through peer-to-peer -peer transactions, right? Like the scientific method is a perfect example of that. And Bitcoin is kind of an extension of that, but in a full-blown economic system. So the spiritual element of it also is that, you know, when you see these, these big changes in the world and then positive impacts on Bitcoin, um, it's because Bitcoin is consistent with that new new way of life that, you know, we're coming into with the Aquarian age. Because Aquarius is all, it's an air sign, so it's all about mental, right? And the maturation of humanity. And if you really look at it, crypto has forced people to mature because um, back in 2013, 2014, if you remember all the scams, I mean, we had to form our own little militias to protect each other from scammers, right? You know, I mean, it was a big thing and it caused people to stop relying on the state and saying, hey, you know, cops, solve this problem for me or something else. They started relying on themselves and developed their own independence, you know, 
in their consciousness, right? Which is really important for a being to to fully evolve. And right. Fully so the evolve. Renaissance is a really interesting analogy because you're emerging from the Dark Ages, and I often think that we're emerging from a fiat money Dark Ages. And what made the Renaissance in Florence, Italy, take root was the House of uh, Medici, who put forward the florin, which was a gold coin of standard gold coin that anyone in uh, around Italy could mint per the standards that were set by the Medici family. And they were the bank of the Renaissance. They were uh, Leonardo da Vinci's banker, essentially, uh, and Botticelli and all these people who were, uh, I think it's Botticelli. Anyway, all these uh, artists of the Renaissance were tied to the Medici bank, who was tied to the florin. And so, again, jump forward to the 21st century, we have something similar with Bitcoin in that it's uh, universally accepted on its own merit. And it is bringing in a Renaissance 2.0. Stacy Herbert, my wife, often talks about this Renaissance 2.0. And we, it's the kind of the subject of our podcast. We do the Orange Pill podcast. And it's, uh, this is what we are trying to make this point, is that is we're, we're post the red pill now. It's the orange pill. It's the re- Renaissance again. And we can really embrace it. Real quick on the Medici uh, as well, if I'm not interrupting anyone. Um, I'm a tone based, by the way, guys. I've been in the Bitcoin space for a while. Hey, Max, good seeing you. Again. I know. I don't know if you knew I was on. So, so, many, uh, uh, so, so many people here. Uh, great job on uh, giving a quick Bitcoin background. Uh, one of the things that, uh, unless I'm, I think my history is pretty good, one of the things that made the Medici successful is that they were like one of the few banks uh, that they refused to loan money to government. They refused to work with government. They were only working with private citizens. And uh, because they knew back then that government has no ability to pay back any principal because the government doesn't make anything. Uh, All they do is restructure loans. And uh, to this day, no one has learned the lessons of uh, what the Medici knew not to lend to government. Right. Well, that's a good point. And as we said, Bitcoin separates for the first time money from the state. And that's a very profound uh, uh, movement. Now, before we had a tremendous uh, advance, if you will, when separating the church from the state. Right. So that was church and state separation. And that was the beginning, really, of the Enlightenment, which led to really the idea of government by and for the people that we all enjoy now. But now I take that to a step further. It's never been possible until Bitcoin to actually separate money from state. There's also another analogy which you can look at, I like a lot, is kind of like this punk rock attitude. Remember in the um, 60s and 70s, the rock and roll had become infected by prog rock like Jethro Tull and Aqualung and all these really tedious acts like Electric Light Orchestra. And then the punk said, well, we can just make our own music. Fuck you. And it was fucking awesome. So with Bitcoin, it's like, we don't want state money. We don't want the violence. We'll make our own money. You know, Bitcoin, we're making our own money. It's unconfiscatable. It's uh, immutable. It's uncensorable. And fuck you. There is an inherent underlying punk attitude of fuck you to Bitcoin that the state is just now starting to realize that there is now the possibility that their funny money, as Christine Lagarde called, uh, made that comment recently, is potentially going to be a 
go out, go out, defund it, which is, makes sense because every single paper money scheme for 300 years has, go, has ended in zero. No, no paper money, no fiat money in the past 300 years has, has lasted, uh, hasn't gone to zero or lost 99% of its purchasing power. That, that's never happened. Fiat money never works. So um, it, we're at that point again. All this paper money, the U.S. dollar and all the rest, they're all going to go to zero or lose 99% of their purchasing power. And the Bitcoiners are saying, fuck you. We have our own money. And I look, I can do any transaction with anybody in this room with Bitcoin and nobody can stop me. The state can't stop me. I'm not going through a bank. So what do I need the state for? I don't. What do I need a bank for? I don't. So fuck them. Yeah, if I, if you don't mind me uh, asking a quick question, Josh Searson from World Alternative Media here. Uh, Max, I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. A lot of gold bugs and silver bugs. I'm a big fan of both gold and silver, of course, but uh, a lot of people don't understand is we're not going back in time. Things are going digital, whether we like it or not. And we could either pick between a centrally planned cash of society or a decentralized, unconfiscatable, uncensorable um, future. And the importance of that point going forward, the differentiation between, because obviously there's going to be people listening that haven't looked into cryptocurrency much over the years, just hearing about Bitcoin mooning right now. And they're like, oh, I got to look into this finally, after telling people it was too late for the last five years. Um, I wanted to hear your thoughts on the importance of the differentiation between, for example, what China's doing with social credit and you know the enforcement of bank-backed digital currencies and then the importance of decentralized cryptocurrency specifically bitcoin going forward yeah there's a lot a lot in that but let's start with gold so gold is also um doesn't need a um a state it's not a state-backed money, right? It's universally accepted. You can go anywhere in the world and, and use gold. Gold is accepted as money. The, prob the problem with gold is that it has to be verified by a third party because a lot of times the gold that you're receiving, and it's hard to know whether it's real gold. It could be fake gold. It could be tungsten wrapped in gold. It could be, uh, the weight could be wrong, et cetera. It could be stolen gold. You don't know. Uh, so that's, a, that's an issue. It also has to be transported. That's a cost. It has to be insured. That's also a cost. And it's easy to confiscate. Gold, in 1933, gold was confiscated by Americans, 8,000 tons. That's what is in Fort Knox. Fort Knox is the gold that FDR confiscated from America, Americans back in the 30s. So let's look at Bitcoin. So it doesn't need to be verified. The transaction is the verification. It's a bearer instrument with no verification required. Um, and it's on the completely transparent Bitcoin blockchain that is visible to all. It doesn't, it, the, the, the transportation and cost of transacting is minuscule. If you were to move a billion dollars worth of gold, I was talking to a gold dealer about this last week, it would cost about $75,000, $80,000 if you really, really got a good price to move a billion dollars worth of gold. The cost of somebody moving gold last week, they paid $2.50 to move a billion worth of Bitcoin through the Bitcoin network. And by the way, since the beginning of the Bitcoin network, over $10 trillion worth of Bitcoin has transacted. So it is a highly active value transference mechanism. 
Uh, thirdly, uh, with with gold, yeah, anyway, the, the 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 Bitcoin is is superior to gold in these ways. Um, and as you point out, it, it has these additional attributes that are better, that make it better than gold. It is this decentralized versus gold tends to be very centralized. Central banks own 33,000 tons of the above ground supply of 160,000 tons. Uh, so it, it is somewhat centralized and, and, and the centralization of that gold also kind of fits to different power centers. Obviously, Fort Knox has 8,000 tons of gold and it is backed and connected to the U.S. power structure, which, as alluded to before, does end up going back to the, the Pentagon, etc. So you don't have any of those and any of that associated with uh, with Bitcoin. So um, it's decentralized, as you point out, um, and it is used in this electronic age, in this digital age, it can be um, used brilliantly as a gold substitute. It also can be used as a fiat money substitute as well. Uh, if, you know, people say that, well, Visa and MasterCard, the transactions are very fast and they can handle a lot of transactions, but people don't realize that when you use a credit card, when you at the point of sale is not the final settlement of that transaction. It usually takes two or three days for both banks to to settle that trade. There's counterparty risk and there's also censorship risk. You know, Julian Assange, of course, uh, his credit cards were cut off. PayPal was cut off. Uh, people are the U.S. dollars used the censorship of the U.S. dollars used by the federal government with the SWIFT system. With Bitcoin, there is no censorship. You cannot censor a transaction, uh, unlike Visa, unlike uh, pay, uh, PayPal, unlike Mastercard, or even the global SWIFT system. So that, that's why these countries, like that, are on the periphery of the American empire, are using and getting involved in Bitcoin because they they are getting out of the U.S dollar hegemony that is ruling the world. And they really, that's why, you know, for better or worse, Iran is now like two or 3% of global hash rate of Bitcoin. Uh, you've got um, Nigeria was huge, the second most trafficked Bitcoin site in the world because they just leapfrogged out of the total global banking system. The government just made some comments this week, which we can get into, but uh, nevertheless, it's a huge market. Uh, Kazakhstan owns a lot of Bitcoin. Several other countries are into Bitcoin. So they're outside of the U.S., people are realizing that the U.S. dollar is vulnerable. Uh, not a lot of people will say, well, what if the U.S. government bans Bitcoin? The, the, the more likely outcome is that the U.S. government will realize, like they did in the 60s during that Sputnik moment when the Soviets put up the Sputnik satellite, they entered the space race to try to compete with that technology. Similarly, once the U.S. realizes that these other countries are bolting ahead of them with the uh, Bitcoin race, they're going to be like, we need to get into this fast. And the U.S. is going to start not, it's not going to ban Bitcoin. It's going to start subsidizing mining of Bitcoin and hoarding of Bitcoin to get as much Bitcoin as possible as a strategic reserve. That's the most likely outcome. And that's why this price is going crazy. Corporations realize it's a strategic reserve. They're now buying it by the billions. Uh, soon, governments are going to realize the same thing. This is a strategic reserve. So when the governments come in with half a trillion dollars to buy Bitcoin, uh, you know, obviously the price is, is going to go up. Uh, so that those are the trends uh, that I think fit what you're asking there. 
And there's a chance we might hit $50,000 while we're live with you here, which is quite interesting. Historic times indeed. Uh, the most exhaustive question that people seem to ask, it's like asking an anarchist who will build the roads, asking a Bitcoiner, um, you know, well, what, what if the electricity goes down? It's the most annoying, exhaustive question ever. But for those that have absolutely no idea what Bitcoin is, do you mind going into this exhausted question? Well, you know, you can actually run the whole network on mesh nodes that work on batteries and radio frequencies, and you can get the Bitcoin signal from satellites. You don't need the electrical grid. Uh, the mining itself would respond to, let's say, right now you've got something like 180 um, quintillion calculations per second are running the Bitcoin network, the, the hash rate. So let's say half, the, half of those computers go down for whatever reason or more. Well, the protocol is ingenious because there's something called a difficulty adjustment every two weeks. It just pings the network and figures out how many computers are on the network. And if there's a huge loss of computer power, the difficulty adjustment goes down and then finds the sweet spot where of the remaining computers that are out there, it's in their incentive to keep the network going and hashing and keep the emission schedule going every 10 minutes. So, and if their electricity does go down or there's a cat catastrophic event like that, Bitcoin is actually the only asset anyone could ever own that's not uh, in jeopardy or every other asset can be confiscated. If you have a, a seed phrase protecting your wallet with your coin, and that's it, you could walk naked through on planet Earth and have all of your wealth completely secure in Bitcoin, and um, no one could take it from you. Another reason why Bitcoin is very handy, when you have a seed phrase to your wallet, you could go through the airport naked and have $10 billion of Bitcoin waiting for you wherever you land, by typing in your seed phrase. And that's obviously in a, in a world that's highly volatile, that's something of, of great to have that ability as well. You can't do that with gold or silver. You know, you can't move. I can't take half a billion of gold into the airport. I can't take, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of gold down to the John, John F. Kennedy airport, right? I can go with my seed phrase. So, so that is uh, not really uh, a risk the, the, as uh, the the loss of electricity as, as you're describing it uh, because the battery operated mesh nodes uh, can actually operate and get the chain broadcast from satellite now so that's no longer think, a risk. Uh, to add to that those mesh nodes are actually UHF VHF which is only 9,000 bits per second so it's actually not enough to carry the actual full Bitcoin blockchain um, and also the difficulty retargeting is 2016 blocks. And so if you have a reduction in hash rate, let's say by a factor of two, um, that could end up becoming a month. And what ends up happening, and this is just a, a, a negative side of Bitcoin um, with that long retargeting cycle is there is potential for deflationary collapse where miners jump off and with competitors, like I'm sorry to say it, Bcash, you know, miners following profit, they could just as easily jump off and then the difficulty retargeting or the time between blocks is going to get longer and longer could go to an hour or to a day if more and more power jumps off and that's that's one of the negative down cycles of it um potentially happening like it, it, bitcoin right, so, i wouldn't say it would be immune to uh, anything like that i mean it, it there is infrastructure being developed right now i mean we're yeah. working on that specifically too because we love bitcoin and we want to see bitcoin succeed um we're nexus doing that but um on top of that you know like there is physical infrastructure that we need to have right now. We run on the Capital I internet, the infrastructure, which is actually developed by the CIA and ARPANET, um, internet protocol. 
and it's very easily centrable. We're already seeing net neutrality. Like, I mean, I try to sync some of my nodes. I get, you know, hit with CenturyLink net neutrality already. So having a physical infrastructure of our own mesh communication network is really important for Bitcoin to be fully self-sufficient. And alternative energy is another aspect, which is really cool about the, the elements of Bitcoin. It's really driving the world in the proper direction is people have this massive consumption of electricity. So they're actually using geothermal electricity. They're using geothermal cooling, um, Arctic cooling in order to have kind of lower footprint and increase their environmental, uh, you know, consistency so that they basically can make more profit by using alternative energy. So Bitcoin mining in a way is not doing the negative effect. Like some people say is it's wasting electricity. It's actually causing people to innovate, to create new ways to bring electricity in and to communicate such as, you know, using satellites and other things. I, I just answer this question really, really quickly. I just remind people that if electricity goes out for more than two weeks, uh, many nuclear reactors are going to go into meltdown. So you really have a lot bigger problems. Your Bitcoin will be just <laughs> fine uh, once electricity comes back. But you really have bigger things to worry about uh, if there is a giant global EMP and there's no electricity. And I try getting it. your money. Try getting your money if the, the Internet and electricity. Try going to the bank and getting your money. Good luck on that. Hey, Sam, Sam, try getting to the bank without your phone working with GPS. Let's start there. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. These are all reasons why it's important for us as Bitcoiners and crypto people to have our own infrastructure, our own communication and our own power infrastructure, because if something like this happens, a black swan event, we can be prepared. And that's part of what I think is really important for us to do is make sure we prepare in as many ways as possible. Because I see crypto as being a fundamental technology for the future, which needs to have its own sovereign hardware in order to operate fully autonomous and to reach that prime goal of decentralization Bitcoin. Yeah, setup. yeah, it's a really good point. And in Venezuela, where the, I know one company is working with mesh nodes and they're really forging ahead and developing that technology and that infrastructure because they want to have that independence and they want to have their individual sovereignty. And there's so much work now being done uh, on these second layer solutions and the infrastructure solutions. So I totally agree with you that th we're forging ahead to get to that point where almost any catastrophic event that comes down on us would, would be uh, the anti-fragility nature of the Bitcoin would be not impacted. So yeah, I would agree with that. I find it's kind of a red herring. Um, so, I mean, oftentimes people who don't know about cryptocurrency will come in with this question. And I asked this question to Gavin Andreessen, the then head developer of Bitcoin in 2010, when he, we met um, at a restaurant in Keene, New Hampshire, as he was talking to us about um, cryptocurrency and so that we'd talk about it on the show. And, uh, you know, the, it was the first question I had. Well, what about, you know, the, the big one when it comes? Well, that was 2010. It's 2021 now, and it's been 11 years, and I'm still waiting for this big bad thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't have systemic uh, issues, and I appreciate people who are handling, uh, you know, making the, uh, the network more robust. But if you're stopping getting into cryptocurrency because you're prepping for the big one and you're buying toilet paper and 22 long rifle rounds, maybe you should prep for a future where cryptocurrency takes over too. And you know, get a little crypto, that way you're prepared. And um, I, one thing that Max said I, I love about uh, gold is uh, I like to call, they call gold the currency of kings. And um, silver was the currency of the people. Well, the reason they call it the currency of the kings is, is because if you have a bunch of gold, some king's going to come along and take it from you. And you're just not going to be able to hold on to it. Right. And um, that's... Um that's all very that's all very good uh, points and um, 
Gosh. The, the crisis that we're having right now, though, is, is unfolding before our eyes, and that's the crisis of runaway money printing. And this is going to cause a lot of problems in 2021. And Bitcoin is a solution for that problem. You know, the, the, you can, the, the, the possibility of a global electrical outlet and things like that are, you know, on the periphery of, you know, they're not high probability events. Whereas this money printing, rogue money printing is happening. It's, it's not even a theory anymore. It's it all, something like 40% of all the money that the U.S. has ever created in its history happened in the last few years. It's just gone absolutely parabolic. I mean, that's a crisis. And so Bitcoin is a solution right now for that crisis. And, and that's one thing that I'm particularly excited about is the paradigm shift that seems to be happening as people wake up to Bitcoin being the safe play. Like for most of Bitcoin's 12 years of life so far, it was viewed as this risky thing that these hackers and hobbyists might tinker with, but it's clearly not for the mainstream. And now when we see how much money is being created and how much fiat is being pumped into the system, I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin and there is an unlimited number of dollars that they can do that with. And so suddenly it's starting to shift, right? They're going to Bitcoin, MicroStrategy, Tesla, they're going to Bitcoin for the safe play to protect their wealth. And right. that's big. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll jump on that as well. I, had a, I always had a slightly different take uh, all this money printing, I know Max and I have debated this for a while. Uh, the amount of wealth that has been destroyed by this unreasonable reaction to COVID uh, is way more than the amount of money that they printed. So even though they printed like 20 trillion or whatever, they've destroyed more wealth than that. So net net, uh, society is not richer today, even in fiat terms, uh, because of all the destruction that they caused. I think the driver into Bitcoin is more as a safe haven asset where people no longer have like a lot of respect for uh, the politics, the U.S. politics, especially with the clown show that was known as the U.S. election uh, that happened in November. And uh, like the government just coming in and being tyrannical across all of the civil, uh, all of the developed world. And I think that is the bigger driver uh, of Bitcoin rising, not necessarily the fact that money was printed to make up for the money that was destroyed. Right, right. Well, this gets into the, the debate of inflation versus deflation. And uh, going back to 2008, when all that money was printed and the consensus was that this is going to cause a lot of inflation but we didn't see the inflation and the government claims that there's deflation and that they're fighting deflation and they print a lot of money. And uh, Sam, at the top of this episode, he was talking about something I talked about on another podcast in terms of what I call interest rate apartheid. And so this kind of squares the circle on how, I mean, essentially I agree with Tone and to me, this is kind of like the 360 spectrum of what this inflation deflation debate is all about in that banks uh, are, a huge, um, you know, you look at the the the, the number, the, the rates that are charged for mortgages and credit cards, give you an idea of what's what's going on here. Um, interest rates over the past twenty years have gone down, right? Uh, Paul Volcker, when he was running the Fed, he had rates at twenty percent, and under Reagan and Alan Greenspan, they've been going down ever since, and their ten-year bond is like under one percent. 
So rates across the board, because the interest rate complex moves together, interest rates have gone down across the board with one notable exception, and that is credit card interest. Credit card interest has been 16, 17, 18% now for, for many years. It never seems to go down. And there's a really good reason for this, is that banks who get all the bailout money, they're also in charge of distributing it to the real economy. When they distribute it to their clients who are real estate speculators, and then they keep part of that real estate on their books, they'll charge them a mortgage rate of 3% or less. When they are distributing it to their other clients who are not asset holders, uh, they are just consumers, they're workers, uh, they're, not, they're part of the 80 or 90% of Americans who don't really have any assets at all, they charge them 18 or 19% on that credit card. And that's how you develop, that's how the middle class got wiped out. And that's how the top one tenth of 1% keep getting richer and richer. Because if you can borrow money at one to 1% 1 and speculate on assets that the bank itself is speculating on and continuing to uh, see price rise of those assets, which you can then use as collateral to go buy another house or another asset or another Picasso or another chalet in Switzerland, and then use that as collateral, you've got this you know, Ponzi scheme essentially, where you're making, your wealth is continuing to go up. Under lockdown, there was something, you know, more than a trillion in wealth was created in this basically using this interest rate apartheid scheme where the workers are constantly being bled with those higher interest rates. So that's the big divide in this economy. It's, I call it interest rate apartheid. If you're a friend of Goldman Sachs, then your cost of borrowing is zero or a negative. JP Morgan actually gets paid to borrow money. They have a negative interest on their money. Uh, but if you're not, if you're just a working person and you're hand to mouth and you, you have a bank, uh, you miss a payment at the bank, you get charged a fee, you're on your credit cards at 17, 18%, and you're just going sinking down into that hole. It's never gonna, it's gonna keep getting deeper and deeper. So that's where the inflation, deflation. So you've got deflation in what Tone Vase is describing, the, the economy is collapsing, it's kind of deflating, but you've got inflation in the asset values that we're making people spectacularly rich. So it's, it's a combination of these two, which I, you could call biflation, perhaps, you know, or it's, it's two worlds. We live in two worlds, America now is two worlds. We've got, we've got peasants and we've got oligarchs. Let's be honest, that's America today. The oligarchs borrow at zero, the peasants, are borrowing as, as long as they can at 18, 19% until they're living on the street. That's what's going on. I think, I think it's important to make a distinction between money and currency. And I think everyone here, a lot of people know that distinction, but money is actually backed by something and the currency is what the U.S., you know, the Federal Reserve, not this U.S., that what, what they just print out or make up out of, you know, just putting ones and zeros on a piece of paper. And one of the biggest, I think, realizations I had is when I realized that the money, our, our currency is actually just backed by debt. And so in order to get a, a dollar into the system, it has to have a treasury bill, bond or note backing it. And since that debt, since that currency has debt associated with it, there's always going to be more debt than there is currency. And if you, if someone were to take all the money in the world to pay off the debt, 
all you'd be left with is a pile of debt and no more money. And so we were basically all high tech slaves. And I was big into the, you know, first the audit the Fed movement, then the end the Fed movement. And then I eventually realized they're going to end themselves. There's nothing I need to, I don't need to go have a sign to, you know, and picketing these people to end the Fed. They're going to do a great job ending it itself. And once I realized with cryptocurrency, you don't actually have to end the Fed. You can ignore the Fed because this is all outside of their paradigm. And the inflation deflation uh, debate, and I completely agree with Max, the inflation is on all the, I'm a financial planner, all the stuff that I want to buy for my clients and, you know, including Bitcoin, though that is going through the roof and it's all the, you know, the cell phones and other crap and little tchotchkes and stuff like that. There's deflation in that, but the system cannot have deflation because if there's deflation, the entire house of cards goes down. And so that's why they are aggressively printing more and more money. There's no way out of it. There is mathematically no way to get out of this. You could tax everybody hundred percent, assuming they still work the same, which they wouldn't. And you cannot get out of debt because money is debt. And then once you realize that money is debt, it's a complete different paradigm shift. And so I think we need to really help educate people on the fact that this or really the currency is is debt that's 100 percent accurate question, and that's why bitcoin has no top because fiat money has no bottom but let's say i'm i'm a newbie right and i don't understand and i haven't gotten into the digital currency world and i show up i i'm i'm hearing this show i'm like i gotta get into bitcoin i turn on and i see bitcoin is trading at 50k right like, what do you say to the new investor? Should they buy at, at that high because it could go higher? Do we wait till it goes down a little bit to buy more? What would be the play on that? Because I do think that's where the other coins will end up coming into play because people will be like, okay, they don't understand. You can buy a little piece of Bitcoin, but they see Bitcoin at 50 grand and they see, I don't know, Ethereum at like 1500. Like, oh, I'll buy Ethereum so I can have a whole coin. Like, what's the thoughts on that? Any, that's I'll, any I'll of the- I'll that. I'll, I'll take this one. So this is how um, a lot of people will end up uh, broke because they're gonna buy into scams. And uh, it's unfortunate unit bias in this case. Uh, sooner or later, we're not gonna be talking about the price of Bitcoin and Bitcoin. We're gonna be talking about the price of Bitcoin and Satoshis. And uh, right now, one Satoshi is worth less than a penny. And probably when Bitcoin stabilizes in price above 100,000, uh, we will all be using the Lightning Network and we will be talking about Bitcoin in smaller units. Uh, the first thing I tell to that person is, the only asset to buy in the crypto space is still Bitcoin and you don't have to buy an entire Bitcoin. Uh, start slow, uh, just commit to $50 a week, $100 a week, whatever you can afford every week. Just set up an automatic payment. There's Cash App, there's a Swan Bitcoin, uh, there's River.com. Uh, God forbid you use Coinbase, but that's okay. It's better to have Bitcoin in any form than anything else. Uh, you can also, uh, I mean, I, my entire retire, I, this is not retirement or investing advice, but I have a self-directed IRA. Uh, it's actually, it's a Roth IRA. I converted it to a Roth and uh, it's all, all my gains are tax-free and I've been 100% in GBTC uh, for months now, taking advantage of this recent run. Uh, so there's many ways to invest, but the important part is not to 
uh, have them jump in and just because something else is cheaper uh, doesn't make it better at all. It's like Max was talking about tungsten. Yeah, tungsten is a cheaper metal than gold, but it's not gold. Uh, there is a reason why it's cheaper and it's not going to overtake gold. Uh, so that's probably uh, uh, the best way unless uh, someone else wants to. Uh, I, I, I'll hop in here. Um, Sam, uh, our company, CoinBitsApp, CoinBitsApp.com, has uh, succeeded in actually catering to that exact type of user because a lot of the other platforms are hard to get into. Um, so, but I always say, even in normal investing, we always dollar cost average. And that's what coinbitsapp.com is about is dollar cost averaging. So consistently buying over time, like Tone Vay says, little by little, and just getting a nice average price of Bitcoin. You might buy 50K this week, but next week you'll get it at, you know, 45K, 40K, 35K, whatever it is, but you want to get a nice low average price. So I always say dollar cost average and uh, yeah, that's the way. Yeah, dollar yeah, cost I, averaging is great. Swan Bitcoin is great. Go to swanbitcoin.com forward slash orange pill. You get 10 bucks free Bitcoin. You can't beat that. Yeah, big fan of Swan as well. And one thought to tack onto that too is I think new people, when they first start getting into this, it always feels late, right? Like right now, they're probably looking at the price and they're saying 47,000 US dollars for one Bitcoin probably feels like I missed the boat. They see the graph and it's just gone up recently, right? Um, but it's still early. Like it's always going to feel that way, right? It, for the people who were in when it was hundreds of dollars a coin, it felt like they missed the boat because they remember seeing it for the first time when it was tens of dollars for a coin. And I think it's going to be that way all the way up. And if you zoom way, way out to the grand scheme of how this could all play out, I think you're early if you're able to convince people to trade your dollars for their Bitcoin that's a sign that you're getting in early. At some point that will no longer be true. Society will no longer be willing to like trade <laughs> this precious, scarce Bitcoin stuff for all these dollars yeah. that are abundant. And so if you yeah. buy with dollars, you're early. Yeah, they won't trade Bitcoin. Yeah, once you leave Bitcoin, the risk goes up almost exponentially. Even with well, exactly, Max, like what's happening with, like let's put it in perspective, for example, here. Uh, you know, if you're going to look at where Bitcoin could go, you know, compared to gold, for example, well, gold is, you know, seven, eight trillion dollars in a market size. Well, if it hits that, you know, your Bitcoin price would be around 350, 400 and something thousand. Um, right. So and, you know, people are people are getting into Bitcoin corporations, central banks. Everybody will get into Bitcoin to hedge against their own inflation or their fiat trash money that they, you know, print nilly billy all around the world. Uh, so I think, you know, the, the upside potential and, and at one point we're just going to be trading, you know, Bitcoin uh, forth and back without even caring on whatever fiat price because fiat is gone. Right. The upside for Bitcoin is still 20, 30 X from here. It's still enormous and it's the least risky of all of them. Once you step away from Bitcoin, your risk goes up. I mean, look at Ethereum, for example. Nobody knows how many are outstanding. It's a completely nebulous number that nobody knows. They've already reversed transactions in the past and there's a central point of failure. Uh, so it's incredibly risky when you compare and, it to And Bitcoin. it's infinitely inflatable. Like it, it'll right. print forever. Like there is no limit to how much Ethereum there will eventually be. It just keeps going and going and going. And then yep. so Ethereum central banking. Uniquely, uniquely, Bitcoin has no center to attack. It's the only one that has no person or group of people or foundation that can be attacked and just and taken down. And that's a virginal birth only happens once. You can only create absolute scarcity anonymously once. 
that's Bitcoin. Everything else has been like a fake Rolex trying to compete with Bitcoin and they, they don't, there's just too much risk. It's just, I'm not willing to accept that risk. It, it, you know, you could say, well, this coin's gonna outperform Bitcoin in the next two weeks. Just not willing to take the risk. I'd rather just own the best in class and sit on it and take my, the, you know, I've been buying this since it was a dollar back in 2011. That's when I got into it. So you're telling us you're rich is what you're telling us. <laughs> I was rich before I started buying Bitcoin. You know, I was a smoker so on Wall Street during the 1980s. You know, but so, as an asset class, uh, it, it, it is a remarkable achievement in both monetary achievement and technological achievement. It's like gold meets a messaging app. <laughs> you know, oh, wow. It's now the global standard for wealth. You know, this is an amazing moment in history. As we said, it's peace. It's peaceful compared to the uh, violence attached to fiat money and the violence attached to gold, right? It's a peaceful revolution. So it's beyond just wealth. I mean, you change the definition of wealth with, with Bitcoin because you get, at some, everyone I know has been in Bitcoin for 10 years has already made more money than they could ever dream of anyway. So now they're asking themselves, what do I want to do with my life? Because money is no longer the issue. So you know what I really want to do? I really want to build schools in Africa. It was a friend of mine in, at Paxful. They do African uh, uh, Bitcoin transactions. They're building schools. That's what they really want to do. You know, you get past money. You get past it. So as, as someone who's been using Bitcoin as, as a money, not just hodling it, but paying uh, developers worldwide, China, you know, France, Argentina, Canada, loving the aspects of borderless money um, and really valuing the idea of, you know, yeah, I can just have this financial opt out and I can end the Fed without even having to protest. Um, Bitcoin has been increasingly hard to actually use as money. Um, and so what, what do we see in the future for, I, I have a lot of, you know, lighting network. Okay. I've been talking about that for, for years. Uh, I don't really see, I mean, yes, adoption's going up, but I mean, is, is, is lightning network network the answer? I know that comes with its, its own issues too, but I, I really want to use Bitcoin as money. So I have to use other cryptocurrencies as money because Bitcoin right now, transaction fees are too high. Uh, the, the network's too slow. And right now it's, it's, unfortunately it's just a lot easier to use your, your, you know, fiat money. Or, or another crypto, which I actually prefer over Bitcoin increasingly uh, over time. And I feel like that one's just going to get more and more congested. Uh, well, I wanna, uh, I'll jump in on that. So what in the world are you actually using other cryptos to buy? Because um, I have never been in a situation where another crypto would be A, more useful or B, as widely accepted and the uh, Lightning Network is fully functioning. I personally don't use it because I don't have a need for it. I'm still using on-chain Bitcoin when the fees start getting too expensive or uh, my transactions aren't going through fast enough. I'll, I'll start using it. I just haven't even had the need for it yet, but it does scale. Maybe maybe you don't use Bitcoin as money as I do, but I Tone, you were at Porkfest, correct? I mean, every single person there at Porkfest was accepting Bitcoin. I, I preferred, or, or accepting cryptocurrency. I had it under, fortunately used, I would love to use uh, Bitcoin more as, as a money for in-person and online transactions. Unfortunately, it's just, it's just not there yet. So, and it, it seems like congestion is obviously probably only going to get worse as we experience this run up and more people using the network. So I'm just, I'm just curious because I know you are a maximalist and also I believe Max, besides Max Coin, is a, is a maximalist. But uh, so, yeah, like I'm just curious, like the, the maximalist mentality of, I had of no other competing problem. cryptocurrencies out there. I had no issues uh, you, utilizing Bitcoin at Porkfest. 
Uh, I felt that it was silly, uh, you know, to use Bitcoin for two to three dollar transactions. Uh, cups of coffee at Porkfest are unreasonably expensive at like five to ten dollars. Uh, so that wasn't the big deal. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, like uh, next year, uh, by next year's Porkfest or the one after, uh, people will be using Lightning or they should because uh, uh, any person that has been using any other cryptocurrency the last few years at Porkfest and held down to that cryptocurrency is poorer now. So what the hell is the point? They should have taken the inflatable U.S. dollars. They'd have more money. Okay. Well, so what I do, what I do is I move all my fiat into crypto. I've been doing it since 2013. So I, but I want to use, I want to use crypto as a like a money, not just, just not just to hodl it, not just as as a as nice savings. I want to get out of banking. We've we've been unbanked for for years at a time. Again, just paying employees. And uh, we love we love giving crypto. You know, to, like for instance at Porkfest, like I want to give the coffee vendor three four dollars for a cup of oh you know of coffee well, i want to give them bitcoin and myself i've been paying i've been going. paying developers in uh crypto for like five years now and i can't do it in bitcoin Yep. Yeah. I, I did. I did it initially. Have you guys tried lightning? Yeah. Like this. Guys, guys, that's that. Guys, that's ridiculous. I mean, I've been. I've been using, I've been using only Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just not a believable scenario. It's just not. It's not. It. No, it's I not. Mean, we're living it. No, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it for five years. You guys seem to be more of the Hold on. Hold on. Everybody's talking at once. Go. Whoever started the conversation. I have to call. I have to call bullshit. There's no way. Tony, chill. It's no, this isn't a show um, we call bullshit on. It's a conversation. Okay. Everybody yeah. chill out. There's no way you can say you have a problem paying developers with Bitcoin because that's not a $3 transaction. Okay. Because I paid. No, them- man. I, I don't think you live in my world. It would take yeah. a while to explain. But initially we did. We did. How cheap are your developers? Pay. Please explain. Oh. I would, uh, we, we don't, we don't have we don't have time for that today. But you can pay. I mean, you can pay developers fifty dollars an hour in, in overseas. It's not. It's not. It's you're okay. So you're not calling me a liar. Anyway, okay. Let's not. Wait, wait, guys, guys, guys. <laughs> okay, so hey, everybody. Okay. Well, mute everybody. There's Kingsley two Okay, okay. Here, here's a here's a good here's a good example. We have we have an app, float.app joinfloat.com. Anyway, we've been supporting Bitcoin since day one. We launched, uh, we went through Boost VC. Uh, so again, I, I've been buying Bitcoin, uh, tipping people on Reddit, $5 Bitcoin back when Bitcoin was like 20 bucks. Um, and, and when it worked out as well as the money. We have super chats on our app. We're live streaming. We have Tim Pichot, who's live streaming on our, our app right now. We have uh, peer-to-peer super chats so people can send people tips, small amount of tips. Uh, right now we're experiencing the issue and maybe maybe we just just need to adopt lightning we we obviously have been looking into it but uh when it comes to on-chain transactions i mean man it's 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 so frustrating like you know uh transactions they they take a while you want to give someone a five dollar tip and it costs you five dollars just to send it so all i'm asking is just like what what you guys think you you guys are the this the 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 brains of, of bitcoin um, so is, is lightning really the answer or is there, are there any other technologies that are coming out? Because right now, like we're, we're going to have to actually, uh, onboard other, other cryptocurrencies because of, of what we're experiencing as far as tipping on our social platform. Thank you Kingsley for that nice question. Does anyone have an answer? I have an answer. Okay. Um, so, um, it doesn't necessarily cost $5 to send. I have not paid $5 for a transaction. 
I think since 2017, uh, transactions will cost about one or two dollars. Uh, yeah, how I mean, how often are you tipping people on chain for five dollars? It is a terrible use case for a blockchain. Absolutely terrible uh, to to waste uh, valuable resources uh, for a five dollar transaction. This is why Lightning is the solution. You don't need a dozen solutions. You need one really, really good one. Just like you don't need 18,000 cryptocurrencies, you need one that is actually good and decentralized. And this is what people are working on. Uh, Lightning is the solution. You should be looking into that for any kind of a small transaction. By onboarding a bunch of other cryptocurrency, you start to increase your technological risk of your platform exponentially. Uh, you also uh, start to, uh, you're going to end up in a situation where most people don't care about these altcoins. They're just going to immediately convert them on the fly into whatever they actually want, which is Bitcoin 99.9% .9 of the time. Uh, you're just creating a giant headache for yourself and your company. Uh, and uh, then you're just going to end up deplatforming all of them in the very near future. I mean, if you want to waste company resources to onboard a bunch of altcoins instead of focusing on Bitcoin, then that's your you know, business plan. I mean, Lightning is, is certainly usable and it's becoming more usable every day. So I think that's going to be solving a lot of these issues that, that you're talking about. And within that Lightning, there's so much going on, right? I, I'm talking with Adam Curry and Adam Curry is putting together and working with this app called Sphinx Chat, which is streaming Satoshis. Uh, so people listen to the podcast and you can elect to get either one, one Satoshi an hour or any limit per Satoshi per hour. So for every minute that they listen to my podcast, I'm being streamed Satoshis uh, over Sphinx Chat. So that's all over the Lightning Network. So that, that is brilliant use. And that's opening up a whole nother category of podcasting and things like that. So my, my answer, I guess, would be um, the frustration that you're expressing there. I think Lightning is rapidly moving into those spaces. I know when I'm using, if I'm going to use my Bitcoin at a coffee shop or something, I use my Fold card, which is a Visa card, where I get sats back. You know, I get my sats back for my usage at the, you know, my fold card and things like that. So there's so much happening on that space. I think the fee, the argument about fees is starting to dissipate. Um, and we won't be having this discussion in the near future, uh, given the developments that are going on in Lightning and these other second layer developments. So, but uh, obviously if you're a business person and you have a need right now that needs to be filled and you're going to look at, you know, you have to do what you have to do. So that's, there's no wrong or right there. That's just your business. So I'll, um, I'll, add, one, I'll add one more thing. The only reason why these old cryptocurrencies are so fast and so cheap is because no one uses them. If they started, if any one of them actually started uh, getting critical mass anywhere close to Bitcoin, they would be a lot more expensive. Look at Ethereum. The Ethereum transactions right now are almost 10 times uh, the cost of Bitcoin's transactions because Ethereum can't scale. Well, Tether, Tether has more transactional volume than Bitcoin, and it has uh, for Ethereum. a long, long time. Ethereum. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, Tether, yeah. Well, 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 again, the reason why it has more transactions than Bitcoin is because uh, it's just wasted transaction. I mean, none of those DeFi projects are useful for anything uh, other than printing their own money. So it's the, the, the chain is being spammed. 
And those that are spamming the chain are making millions uh, while people that are trying to use the chain, uh, the few people that are trying to use the chain are stuck with $50 fees. There's nothing Ethereum can do to solve this problem. It's only going to get worse. And, uh, and that's going to be true for all of them. Uh, also, uh, when you look at other cryptocurrencies that are cheaper, somebody mentioned Bcash earlier, uh, you have to keep in mind that uh, the, these blockchains, the fee, you're thinking about a fee in dollars, uh, but the fee is actually in the units of the currency. Uh, the smallest unit in Bitcoin is the Satoshi. The smallest unit in Bcash, I call it the VAR. Uh, that's the equivalent of a Satoshi. But the VAR is like 99 times cheaper than the Satoshi. So by default, your transaction is going to be ridiculously cheaper because the currency that the transaction is being calculated in is significantly cheaper. So there's a lot of like bias going on that makes uh, creates the solution that this other stuff is faster and cheaper, but it's insecure and nobody uses it. And that's why it's just an illusion that they're faster and cheaper. Well, it may and, and hey, to, to add in there real quick, um, while we were discussing this, Joe and I just exchanged 50 cents on the Lightning Network and it worked pretty well. That's pretty cool. So uh, Right now in Keene, New Hampshire, you can go and buy a cheeseburger at Local Burger. And then you can walk across the street to Corner News where you can pick up a newspaper, a soda, and a bong, and then walk off to uh, Moto Sua where you can get your hair cut because activists who, cryptocurrency activists, care deeply about cryptocurrency have set it up so that you can do all these transactions in Bitcoin Cash, Dash, uh, a few others, and they're out there and they're happening. So whether it's secure enough for you or whatever, I don't know the answer to that. But I do know the answer is, is that real world cryptocurrency transactions are taking place and they're generally not taking place in Bitcoin BTC. And um, I hope that my uh, first love, Bitcoin, can come back and fix this problem for me. A end user, a guy who spins the coins that he has, because I believe this is a currency more than I believe it's an investment. Maybe I'm wrong, because it certainly made me a lot of money in an investment. <laughs> but, right, well, the, well, the, well, the history think... of this goes as money, right? It's, all money starts off as a collectible, then it becomes a store of value, then a medium of exchange, then a unit of account. So Bitcoin is in the store of value phase and transitioning to the medium of exchange phase. And this discussion about alternative types of systems and coins, et cetera, uh, one way to look at it is to take a step back and see where these coins are gonna be in a few years. And the reason I ask this is because what we see happening in Bitcoin is it's, it's basically monopolizing the hash rate. You know, that hash rate of Bitcoin is now approaching 200 quintillion calculations per second. And it's literally gobbling up all that hash rate. For the hard forks of Bitcoin, there's hardly any hash rate in those coins at all. And they're gonna die off. They're gonna just wither and die because there's not gonna be any miners. There's not gonna be any hash rate and it's just not gonna be used. At the same time, Lightning Network's a second layer are developing on Bitcoin. So at the moment, there's a transition period, but I can look, if I look at the bigger picture here in terms of where the energy is going, it's going into Bitcoin. And, and, and because it's the most secure and all the other reasons that people are moving into Bitcoin. And when, when Elon Musk buys Bitcoin, he buys Bitcoin. When Michael Saylor is gonna move into Bitcoin, he buys Bitcoin. When Mass Mutual decides to go into Bitcoin or Paul Tudor Jones, uh, it's all about Bitcoin. And that increases the price, it increases the security, it increases the dominance, and everything else is just gonna fade away. So right now we're in a transition period, there's still some residual conversations about 
fees and this type of thing, which has been around for a few years. But as Bitcoin establishes its complete dominance in this, uh, all these things just fade away. So this conversation will just end up being completely dead within six months. But there's still a few uh, vestiges of it. But it's going to die. I have something I'd like to say real quick. Uh, so I've been listening. I feel like first time caller, long time listener. Uh, Charlie and Sam, you guys are badasses. Love your show. And I'm thinking about your audience and uh, what they need to hear. And first of all, fuck the state. Fuck central bankers. Okay. Let's just get it out there. That's why we're all here. I think that's really important. And so when I'm thinking about like what your audience needs to hear is that this is uh, not about a get rich quick scheme. This is about taking power back. And Bitcoin is this vehicle for us to do that. This is incorruptible, uncensorable. This is for the people by the people. And I've heard a lot of the pros and cons and some of the pushback. And uh, you guys just need to know that I listen to your shows and so many times we hear um, a lot of the problems that you guys are talking about. And it's like the the way to fix a lot of the problems that you're talking about, you know, you talk about corruption and censorability and all, all kinds of crazy things. And I literally, I just want to scream through the uh, podcast, Bitcoin fixes this. And I would, I would almost challenge you, Sam or Charlie, you know, give me like one, give this group of Bitcoiners one example and we can tell you how Bitcoin fixes this besides like interdimensional reptilians or some bullshit like that. Give me one example of, uh, a world problem. And I believe that honestly and thoughtfully, this group of Bitcoiners can say a way that we can come back and fix that through sound money. And uh, the last thing I want to say is like, Sam, at the beginning, you were talking about spirituality and how Bitcoin is bringing about this big revolution. And uh, there's been a lot of really thoughtful people who have who put a ton into this. And uh, Max, I think you did a great job. And I just want to add on to what you were saying. Um, Bitcoin changes you as an individual. It's the most powerful meme that mankind has ever seen. And what I mean by that is that once you, once you see the meme of uh, decentralized money, um, it changes your worldview and you can't unsee it. Due to the nature of Bitcoin uh, being you know, hard cap money, um, it's designed to pump forever. And that one fact alone, it is built on number go up technology. That one fact alone changes human behavior. The fact that uh, now that you know that Bitcoin exists and number go up, every decision that you make monetarily and with your own personal life, you're going to be thinking about the future. How much more Bitcoin can I stack? Should I offset buying this stupid pair of Jordans so that I can stack more coin? Should uh, This is just going to allow humans to coordinate and uh, put value on things with a longer time preference. Um, so I'm Thank God for Bitcoin. Fantastic book, Tone. Yeah, uh, but, man, that's not for you. Get the get this book. Check it out. It's a, it's a very thin book. It's awesome. But hey, the, the last thing I would say, another book to recommend uh, <laughs> that us Bitcoiners love to preach about, it's called The Sovereign Individual. You may have heard about it. It's written, written in the mid-90s, uh, but it's built on the thesis um, that uh, cryptography and microprocessor is going to usher in a new age of prosperity for mankind. And... Um, you know, Max was touching on the power of cryptography earlier. You know, the fact that Bitcoin is uncensorable and unconfiscatable, and that's all powered through cryptography. And I, you know, a couple of the pods you guys have talked about recently is censorship resistance, uh, running your own nodes, your own like self-powered internet. Bitcoiners are building all of these things that you're talking about. It's just 
I, maybe you're not, we haven't connected the dots between like your community and the Bitcoin community, but guys, it's right there. It's the carrot on the end of the stick. I think that uh, we could do some great things together. Uh, I got a question. So we talk about um, the difference between Bitcoin and fiat and immutable security, scarcity, etc. So my question is, what is Bitcoin backed by? Uh, I'll take it if I, unless Max wants it. Um, so Bitcoin is backed by the fact that it's the first de really decentralized asset. Now, what does that mean? Uh, so what backs Bitcoin is the fact that it is the trust of the network that it's trustless. And that requires three parts uh, that make it decentralized. You have uh, an open source a decentralized group of programmers that suggest uh, beneficial changes to the code. Uh, that code needs to be accepted by the miners that are spending ridiculous amount of money on electricity, uh, solving these math problems to process the transactions. And they do this to earn new Bitcoin and get the on-chain transaction fees. But uh, they alone cannot force a change onto the system because people like myself and maybe one or two others on this stream, I'm hoping Max is running a node. So people like myself enforce, uh, Stefan, you run a node, awesome. Um, we enforce the rules. So I choose what uh, rules of Bitcoin to accept. So uh, node operators are the last line of defense. And there's about 100,000 uh, node operators right now around the world. We all keep a full copy of every Bitcoin transaction that has ever existed. And we all need to sync up. Uh, so this three-headed decentralized monster uh, creates uh, this um, uh, trust system in the fact that it's trustless and no one is in control. And the only thing that a currency really needs to be the world reserve currency is confidence of the people that it works. Uh, it's not the U.S. military. It's not the taxes. Uh, it's none of that. Uh, no currency was a world reserve currency because of its military power. That's not true. Uh, the U.S. dollar is a world reserve currency because it, it has been up until November the most politically stable, most economically stable major country in the world. That is what makes... I have another question after this too. Their currency. And that's going to end very, very soon. Max, did you want to tackle that? Yeah, well, let one me thing just, is, tag on that. Yeah, so ahead, the Max. question is what backs Bitcoin? So that, the, 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 to me, when I'm asked this question, I always ask, I, I ask a question, what is money, right? So you have to ask that question first. Um, so I asked that question, what is money? Um, well, there's three. Right now, we, we're dealing with basically three possibilities. There's fiat money, gold, and Bitcoin. And I think we can safely say that fiat money is, is a problem because there's an infinite supply, essentially. And it's being used in ways that, and, and for every problem that comes up, the, the answer is to print more money, right? Right now, we're in an era where it's like, oh, Universal basic income, modern monetary theory, uh, money theory, forgave student debts. It's like, there's just gonna be no end to it. It's just gonna be money, money, money. Uh, this happened in 1971, actually, because up until 71, the US dollar did have some connection to gold, 
But then in 71, it was severed. And it's just all paper now referencing other paper. So get rid of fiat money. That's fiat currency is not money. Okay, what about gold? Gold is, gold is money. Um, it's because over thousands of years, people are willing to trade it in exchange for goods and services because they have confidence that if I take gold for goods and services, that gold, I can, I can, if I hold it for a period of time, like a year or five years or 10 years, I can still use it as a medium of exchange. It's portable, it's divisible, and that's what makes it money. I have confidence that I can hold on to it for time so I can move my value through time with gold. I'm moving it through time. Uh, paper money, I can move it through space, but it, it doesn't have any, uh, it doesn't, it's not a store of value. So that brings us to Bitcoin, which you can move through time and space. It's like it has the value that is recognized by others. Others will accept it. What backs Bitcoin? It's what backs it is that somebody else will accept it. That's what backs it. Um, initially, back in 2009, very few people would, would accept it. You know, it was too weird. Uh, but over the last 12 years, that's the reason it's you know, pushing a trillion dollars in value, and it's traded over $10 trillion over the past 10 years, is that people accept it. They, they equate it to gold, and that's what gives it value. It's, the value is based, what backs it is backed by the fact that people accept it. I got another question. I got another question. Um, if in the case that they decide to make Bitcoin illegal, what will we do then? This is uh, the, the hot topic uh, really at, at the moment because first of all, um, as we know from the financial world, there's a difference between what's illegal and what's enforced, right? So there's a lot of stuff in the financial world that's illegal, but those laws are never enforced. We saw that with Wall Street Bets last week. Uh, the, the, we, there's a lot of things that those hedge funds were doing that's illegal, but those rules are not enforced. So a government can ban Bitcoin, but they cannot enforce the ban because it's unconstitutional. Yeah, no, exactly. Like uh, with gold too, for example, like uh, look at the 2008 hyperinflation in Zimbabwe, uh, the government actually tried to ban uh, you know, the use of gold and silver as, as a medium of exchange at the time. And it was actually punishable by death. You know, for the people, but you know, are you going to take the fiat garbage that loses all its value and you can actually transact in something that could keep it, right? So that's well, what they did. China's proved that death sentences don't mm, equate to suppression. Uh, they, they've got they kill people left and right, but the people still commit crimes that are against the state. Uh, I, I don't really see uh, a ban being effectual, especially with the increase in value. Plus, the, well, as I said earlier, the, the tendency is the opposite because we have like the state of Wyoming is now becoming a full Bitcoin state. Wyoming is to Bitcoin what Colorado is to marijuana. So Colorado went marijuana friendly. Now you've got many states marijuana friendly. It's going to be a federal law. It's going to be marijuana friendly. Well, Wyoming is introducing pro-Bitcoin legislation. It's pro-Bitcoin banks. And it's going to spread to other states because the business is going to boom. And then America will be pro-Bitcoin. And it'll, as I said before, the tendency is going to be like, you know what? We don't have enough Bitcoin. Just like you mm -hmm. don't have enough Bitcoin. Uh, and a lot of people don't have enough Bitcoin. The government's going to be like, we don't have enough Bitcoin. And these other countries have Bitcoin. We got to go out there and get some Bitcoin. So it's going to be the opposite. They're going to be scrambling for Bitcoin. Uh, well, and this says this says sort of tertiary benefits. Like I believe it was five or six years ago, they were talking about making it legal for there to be digital signatures on contracts, and, and that was directly as a consequence of Bitcoin. That wasn't anything else. 
Right, there's a huge business, right? DocuSign became a multi-billion dollar industry just doing digital signatures. So it's an encrypted digital world and the, the, all these valuations are skyrocketing as a result of all of that. And Bitcoin is the native currency of that new world. And, uh, and that's, the, that's the money of the new digital world. And we all live in a digital world. We all live in an encrypted world. We just didn't have the money for it. Software and digitalization has disrupted everything in our lives for years. Every corporation is essentially a software company. Every car company is a software company. Every agricultural company is a software company. Every logistics company is a software company. Every company is a software company. The only thing that's not completely software is money up until 2009. And now money is software. And it matches every single industry that is also all software and all software is eating the world and bitcoin is eating the world and that's the world we live in and people accept it as money and as long as people accept it as money it is money that's what money is people mm -hmm. accept it as money it's unconfiscatable uh, it's immutable it's uncensorable you know and it's got everything you would want in gold but it's absolutely scarce and it's better than gold and that's why everyone, these corporations who have a lot of cash in their balance sheets are saying, wait a minute, I have a choice. I can use that cash to buy back my own stock and give myself executive stock options that are gonna make me a billion dollars, or I can use that cash to buy Bitcoin and make myself $5 billion. <laughs> so they're choosing Bitcoin. It's actually more profitable to buy Bitcoin than to buy back your own stock with free money from the central bank. Max, that's let me say this real quick. Let me say this. I think that for this audience, okay, I'm thinking Charlie and Sam, the people watching your show, there's one of two choices that we as humans and Americans have to make. We're going to go down the path of centralization or decentralization. Okay, that's the choice. If it's centralization, we can carry on with what we've been doing. Okay, we can have more money printed go burr, more censorship, more surveillance, more of all this bullshit that we keep bitching about on all these podcasts. The alternative is a decentralized future. Bitcoin is that decentralized option. There's no other option. All these other shit coins are centralized. They have single points of failure. So listen, decentralization with Bitcoin, it is in line with American values, with the individual, with libertarian values. So I just implore your listeners, if they're out there, you know, pick, follow some of these great thinkers that are on this podcast, follow some of their pods and uh, do a little bit of research because uh, there's there's only one of two options, centralization or decentralization. And Bitcoin is the best chance. There is no alternative. I mean, the government bans lots of things and the price just goes up. I mean, the government's banned drugs, the government's banned uh, you know, alcohol at one, one time. It didn't stop people from drinking alcohol. And I mean, just the thing, I mean, government has banned people from walking around not having masks on. And I actually wore a mask about a year ago today, flying back from Anacapoco. And, and I haven't worn a mask in seven months because they told me you have to wear one. And, you're all, and to the point of uh, smart contracts and legalization, out here in Arizona, we're actually seeing uh, smart contracts are legally enforceable. A few other states are legally enforceable. So we're seeing lots and lots of uh, you know innovation when it comes to that. But you know, but I do want to make a point about the Lightning uh, Network. Isn't that sort of centralizing the network? If we're, now we're having different uh, you know points. Well, those of, are uh, those are federated nodes, right? It, it's uh, just so different security trade-offs at different layers. Like if you want ultimate security and if you're buying a house or some huge purchase, then absolutely pay the fee and wait the time to do that on-chain to get yeah. maximum security through that settlement process. Right. But if you're buying a coffee, then maybe your security considerations are different. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, do you ever see the? Do you ever see the banks trying to, at some point, trying to insert themselves in as being Lightning Networks and having FinCEN saying, "Hey, you've got to use one of these." Not to say people, especially on this podcast, will listen to what the government says and go through these channels, but I, I see it where eventually they're going to try to make it to the point where you have to be centralized yeah, in centralized some choke point approved. I, I, I think. I think Bitcoin makes it a lot less about what they say and a lot more about what they can do. And that kind of goes back to what Max was talking about earlier with enforceability, um, that the fantastic book that Joe shouted out, The Sovereign Individual, I do just want to like double down on that recommendation because that book changed my life and it changed how I view Bitcoin and Bitcoin's impact on the future. There's definitely a lot of, uh, uh, you know, this discussion of banning and the government, et cetera. But remember, this is happening at a time of enormous dissent all over America. America from coast to coast and this emerging, uh, you know, poverty stricken class that's being squeezed out, right? There's a lot of people out there that are very angry and all the disparate groups out there, protest groups, and they're all have one thing in common. They're being screwed over by fiat money and banks. So um, once you have 200 million people that are saying, fuck you, I'm going to use this decentralized, immutable, unconfiscatable money, and, and I'm not going to use your paper anymore. You know, it's like Gandhi, you know, when he, what he did is he marched to the sea and he made their own salt. And he defeated the British Empire with that very simple act. We're going to make our own salt. Fuck you, British Empire. And they left. So now you've got 200 million Americans who are like, we're going to make our own money. Go fuck yourself. And that's going to win. And this is all all segments of, uh, the, of the U.S. I see it. I mean, I see both left and right that, that they're saying, well, we're just going to create a parallel system. And... Yeah, and, and I was gonna, I was gonna add, we have a precedent for the attempt to block a technology that failed, and that's BitTorrent. Yeah, BitTorrent. They to this day they cannot stop people on BitTorrent. That's it's right. the same idea. That's right. You can't uh, censor it. That's right. I'll, I'll, I'll here's, I'll that as well. Um, so there's well, when when the question is can they ban Bitcoin? Uh, it's it's a double answer. So one is technologically they can't ban Bitcoin the way they can't ban the growing of uh, you know a plant. This is the cannabis regulation, right? Like like you can't ba ban uh, marijuana from growing. So uh, so there you go. So technologically Bitcoin can't be banned now. Uh, as far as will they try to ban something that they know they can't enforce? And I think that is also going to be challenging. And this is going back to what happened with Wall Street bets. And um, I thought the entire thing was kind of crazy. And I warned everyone on my podcast not to touch game GameStop stock because I knew it was going to crash back to its original price because it was unsustainable because the company is actually bankrupt. There's a or mm -hmm. terrible. There's a reason why this hedge fund was massively short. <laughs> um, but the but the point is the same that um, uh, it's this kind of uh, you know uh, you want both sides of uh, of the coin where. Does Wall Street run the government or does the government run Wall Street? Because Wall Street is falling in love with Bitcoin. And if Wall Street is falling in love with Bitcoin and Wall Street is the biggest lobbyer of the government, how in the world is the government going to be able to ban Bitcoin while Wall Street is fully getting into it? We now have senators that are really big fans of Bitcoin. Uh, so they're going to have a problem with this. So uh, the government banning Bitcoin is going to be challenging. And uh, briefly commenting on what happened with Wall Street bets, people are like, well, these 
it's a it's supposed to be a free market and people weren't allowed and uh you know to short and these hedge funds are running amok well if it was a free market then the sec wouldn't be finding these hedge funds and they would be able to do whatever they want as well so it's kind of like a double-edged sword basically um so uh, so there you go yeah and another point that people aren't making about wall street bets and i you know I, that's not to say that there wasn't corruption and citadel didn't potentially you know put the kibbutz and then trying to uh you know short them but it's a very antiquated financial system so when you trade a stock you usually have to wait two days it's called a t plus two and so as all this day trading is going back and forth back and forth there's these trades have not settled now through cryptocurrency and blockchain i mean that technology exists right now where that could be instant uh guys like patrick byrne of overstock.com developed something called t0 which can do that instantly not saying you should go out and buy it just saying that from a proof of concept it does work and so the other side of the story is Robinhood had billions of dollars that they had to put up as collateral they didn't have billions of dollars because we have an antiquated plumbing of the financial system that is 50 years old or even older that should not exist today it should be upgraded and i guess maybe this is a question to max do you think that bitcoin in the in the future might be at the point where you could have a stock market on top of bitcoin uh where you could effectively have trades settling you know instantly or obviously not taking two days like the current legacy system is, is running right well the blockchain is a ledger system and so stocks are it's a ledger system with the keeping track of where the shares are located now the thing about the wall street bets and uh, with melvin capital they there, there was a certain number of shares outstanding in that company GameStop, and melvin capital had sold more stock than existed right so they were counterfeiting shares and selling counterfeit shares into the market for the purpose of crashing the price of GameStop. And, and so with a, uh, a ledger system, a triple ledger system or a blockchain system, um, you can't do that. You can't commit that fraud. You can't commit that crime. Again, there is a law against it. It's called Reg Show, S-H-O. You're not allowed to naked sell stock that doesn't exist. But the problem is enforcement. Regulators don't enforce Reg Show, just like regulators don't enforce almost virtually every financial law in America. They just don't enforce it. So uh, there is a company, you know, Bruce Fenton, Tone, our friend Bruce Fenton is launching a whole brokerage based on this very concept of essentially tokenized stock, right? So stock as a token. And um, it's going to be a big business. It, it's not Bitcoin. It's something completely different. It's just using a blockchain technology to create a tokenized share issuance and trade stocks. And you're right, T0 is a, was a first attempt at that and to clean up. You know, I worked on Wall Street for many years and the thing about it is you've got brokers in the front office doing all the sales and in the back office are the staff, you know, reconciling all these trades and that's a huge, that's, that's like a huge friction in the system and it's very, very costly and it makes a lot of mistakes. So that would eliminate all that from the, from the process and it would uh, streamline the process and probably make it a lot more impactful. And, and Patrick Byrne actually spent $34 million to suing Goldman Sachs and to win 35 to prove that they were naked short selling him. And then now Goldman Sachs obviously wants to get in on the game and try to figure out how they can impose themselves in there to, uh, you know, obviously make, make money from this. But, you know, that's, there's a reason why the legacy system doesn't necessarily want this is because, you know, there's a lot of money to be made front running people and flash trading and screwing the average person out of money. I used to work for LPL. The PL stands for uh, <clears throat> private ledger. And they actually forced me to resign from a six figure residual income because I wanted to give a speech on how people, this is back in like January, 
January of 2018, how if you made a bunch of money in Bitcoin, how you could sell it to different types of trusts and legally get out of capital gains and so on and so forth, trying to actually do what was in my client's best interest. And they made me resign. So then only later, they then ended up deciding to come out with their own blockchain fund because the PL, the public, le the private ledger was direct opposition to what Bitcoin is as a public ledger. So I know firsthand how the financial system, you know, at first is fighting this and now is, you know, basically trying to figure out how to make money off of this. Right. Well, you have Robinhood, 40% of the revenues for Robinhood come from kickbacks to Citadel hedge fund who bailed out Melvin Capital with capital that they got in from a bailout from the U.S. taxpayer. With Ben Bernanke on their board and ben Janet Yellen getting $810,000 uh, right. speaking fee. Who's right. paying Janet Yellen $810,000 for a speaking fee? So I mean, obviously. It sells data to Citadel, who then uses the data to rip off Robinhood traders. And I, so, but the I, you can't be that good. They, they banned. I got a. Sorry, I got a question. And I think, like, okay, so I know that Max is a fantastic monetary store, and I love you, to be watching you for eight years, Max. Uh, here's a, the big question, you know, like let's move like 20, 30 years down the road and, and let's say, you know, like we, we were able to get rid of fiat garbage. We're running on, you know, Bitcoin. Uh, how can we prevent it from, you know, because over time, like every time throughout history, always centralized to decentralization. It's like a pendulum moving forth and back. Like node operator, uh, operators, are you worried that, you know, like they could turn into the banksters, you know, like 20, 30 years down the road at all? They, yes, and they tried in 2017. It was a coordinated attack by the, no, by the economic nodes, by the major companies in the space, by the miners. Uh, it was basically a coup to control Bitcoin and they failed because of node operators uh, like some of us uh that's where my when my channel became popular and we were educating people uh not to fall for this nonsense and that the users will win and a lot of people were scared that the users had that much power and the users proved that they had power so as long as uh people are able to run their own node uh the system will stay decentralized that's the number one most important thing and, and this is another reason why the Bitcoin blocks need to stay as small as possible to give people the biggest opportunity to have the maximum number of nodes around the world validating their own transactions. Uh, so as long as uh, that continues to happen, I have full confidence Bitcoin stays decentralized. I, I agree with that completely. And I think that is a very important episode in Bitcoin's history for people to research if they're curious about the incentive structure and the game theory there. Because like Tone said, a bunch of rich, powerful Bitcoin companies tried to change the rules of the network in 2017 uh, to put their business interests ahead of the network. And they failed. And that was proof that the miners don't unilaterally make the rules. And it's proof that if you don't like the rules, all you can do is exit. You can fork off, you can leave, and that creates a different coin, but you cannot convince anyone running their own node to follow you. Right. So trying to change the, the rules of Bitcoin is like trying to change the rules of chess or the English language, like good luck. Yeah, and uh, one of the observers of that was Michael Saylor over at MicroStrategy. He said once he saw the, that the nodes were winning that, that's what he decided to go long Bitcoin. And that's what started off this current corporate craze to buy Bitcoin.
I've been in Bitcoin since 2013. I know many of you have been in longer, but that SegWit 2X was the single most bullish uh, event that in my view in history, that was the first big test of that incentive structure. And so when Bitcoin prevailed through that, profound to me. Some people ask, ask me, can Bitcoin be hacked? Is it, you know, do you, what, what's usually your response to that? Anybody want to jump in? I mean, it can be attacked, but not necessarily hacked. But the problem is that the, that the network is so, not the problem, it's a, it's a feature and a great thing that the network is so huge. I mean, the mathematical probabilities of somebody coming in and then winning multiple blocks and rewriting the entire blockchain is basically about zero. And so, and then even if they were successfully to be able to pull off, you know, such a coup, I mean, basically there would be ways to, you know, essentially cut them out and, uh, I mean, maybe maybe Max or Tom might be you know better on this exact subject of, of, of how this can be, but it can be attacked, not necessarily hacked. Um, I mean, I don't want to say anything. But what about like a quantum computing? Because what would happen in uh, in a quantum computing type world if, well, if China well, were to get? It? I don't think quantum computing would matter once the thing's been validated a few times. It's written into the blockchain, and you just can't reverse history, right? Um, it can matter. So. Um, Quantum computing, uh, you know, causing havoc in Bitcoin. I'm saying causing havoc in Bitcoin, not necessarily hacked. So to answer the question directly, your Bitcoin can be hacked. The Bitcoin code being hacked to create, you know, major disruption is very, very unlikely. Uh, very unlikely. Uh, theor uh, like. Uh, vulnerability is occasionally discovered in Bitcoin code. Uh, that vulnerability is usually quickly fixed and uh, that change is accepted by the network. Now, as far as quantum computers are concerned, first of all, we're five to 10 years away from even discussing the possibility of a quantum computer uh, causing some kind of havoc in Bitcoin. Now, the worst uh, thing that a quantum computer could do is once again, hack you, not hack uh, the Bitcoin system. So yeah. all of a sudden, so if uh, in the future, someone does build a quantum computer that is able to guess, uh, I don't know, uh, what's the numbers that are way bigger than a trillion uh, guesses per second, they may be able to guess your private key from your public key. That is the biggest risk. Now, of course, uh, the public keys that are the biggest risk are like Satoshi's public keys that have a lot of Bitcoin. They are a way higher risk than yours. Uh, and the other kind of misconception is if someone does eventually build this thing, uh, and again, like I said, this is 10 years away from being a concern. Uh, uh, just because someone managed to run a quantum computer for a month to try and was eventually able to hack somebody's public key doesn't mean that every second of every day for the next year public keys are being hacked get ready to wait another year for another one public key to be hacked. Like, like these things are not that simple and 10 years from now i'm sure someone smarter than uh me definitely and uh perhaps smarter than our current core developers even will come up with uh uh an elegant solution to make it even harder uh to guess these uh, uh anti-quantum encryption is a 20 year old thing there have been like models of cryptography that are uh, quantum computer resistant and i've read papers 
going back 20 years. I mean, it's it's not a new thing. So I'm not worried about quantum computers at all. Uh, it also gonna, comes down to cost. So there's a little bit of a red queen syndrome here. So the cost of, let's say, attacking Bitcoin is such where the resultant impact on the market, in my view, we, we you would see the price start to go up. And, and because the market would say, well, someone's trying to buy it out, essentially, and that would increase the cost of the attack and this kind of red queen syndrome so that it's, it, it, you can never amass the amount of money required to attack, particularly in these stages where Bitcoin is becoming the money. So once it hits the unit of account stage and it becomes the global standard, it just will be we'll just be swimming in Bitcoin. It's just, it's just, it'll just be the standard. So I think in a lot of, in, in not in too distant future, this, this whole question will just kind of fade away as well. But if you can try to do it now, think about trying to, the cost of, to attack, let's say 51% attack last I t- checked, it was hugely expensive. So you'd need global coordination, multiple countries, and you'd need a simultaneity of attack, a synchronicity of attack, which I think would just set up a red queen syndrome anyway and fail. And before that happens, we're going to have ubiquity. So I don't see it as a risk. Guys, I got to jump off real quick. I love you all. This is uh, the union of the unwanted never, ever lets me down. It's the best conversations on the internet. I love everybody here. Thank you guys so much. My dog's going to shit in the apartment if I don't take off. Uh, Thanks, guys. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Hotep. Thank all you guys for coming on. I really do appreciate it. You guys are the best. And when when, uh, when Tone says that we're five years away from thinking about it, it sort of reminds me of the Federal Reserve that they're like, they're not even thinking about, thinking about, thinking about, thinking about raising rates. So that's that's what I was thinking about when he yeah. was saying that. Uh, so look, people really underestimate how challenging mathematical exponential scaling, uh, you know, solutions are. Uh, and uh, they also, on the flip side, they underestimate their problems. Uh, this is why Bitcoin's uh, blockchain it, total is still under 300 uh, gigabytes and Ethereum is upwards of six or seven uh, terabytes. So um, people always underestimate, uh, you know, exponential scaling. So look, talk to me about quantum computing when an online travel site like a Kayak or Expedia can find me a better uh, you know, route around the world than I can do manually. You know, like uh, talk to me about quantum computers then because I travel for a living and I'm so frustrated that I can manually find better options than these travel sites. And it's their job to do these calculations. I have a, I have a question. Speaking of the corporate side, we've been talking a lot about on the consumer side of cryptocurrencies, but recently we've been hearing talk, uh, Elon Musk, Michael Saylor, a lot of these guys talking about corporations needing to examine their relationship with Bitcoin in relation to their own balance sheet and storing part of their balance sheet on uh, putting it into Bitcoin as a temporarily or as a, as a part of their holding strategy. That sounds like it's maybe a new concept. What kind of marketplace is that? If all of a sudden a, a segment of the corporate world decides that's a pretty good idea and they start on the buy side of purchasing 
crypto in order to make that happen, is that not just a recipe for that, for it shooting through the roof? That's not even the biggest recipe, but yeah, I mean, the bigger recipe is when central banks start doing that. Or once you find out other central banks are either mining it or acquiring it, but absolutely. I mean, I think at some point you're going to have every major company start off dabbling, having one, 1%, 2%, especially the investment firms, they want to be safe and have one or 2%, but then that's going to then create this arms race. And it's, we're going to see from, you know, getting up from 50,000 to a hundred thousand, it's just going to be like this exponential curve, in my opinion, not investment advice, because I am a financial advisor. So I got to make that caveat here because the SEC wants to go after small people like me and not people like Bill Ackman going out there and shilling different investments that he has, or they go after the Wall Street bets guy and, and instead of the actual players in the system. But I think absolutely it's going to be a major catalyst. There's rumors now of Apple potentially looking to put uh, $5 billion, which is only like 20 days of cash flow for them into Bitcoin. And so I think this is just the beginning. Uh, but like anything, I mean, and a lot of these companies aren't going to want to announce this, obviously, until after they've already done it, because if they're, if they're telling you that they're going to do it, then by then the prices are going to go higher. So well, it's going to be the stealth move. Yeah, Tim, they're forced to because it's an inflation hedge. You know, they gotta they gotta have to hedge themselves against you know the fiat currencies that are collapsing right now. Because if you look around the world, like I look at every single central bank around the world, massive programs of you know interventions. You know, Norway's central bank has bought four percent of you know the stocks uh, in Norway and Oslo Börs, for example. You got you know governments you know uh, utterly you know stimulus to try to fix the fake crisis that they created. Uh, so uh, this is just to start, but I, I think like what we're going to end up with is, you know, a time when we have to actually like change the Bitcoin algorithm and we're going to have to add uh, zeros after the eight, you know, Satoshis that you have, you might have to have 16 to have enough units to be able to, you know, do transactions with each other because there's going to be like, this is the world reserve currency. I wrote a piece on it in 2018. I, predicted i was hoping in 2019 that you know central banks and corporations will get in but you know i was a little bit late uh, a little bit early to the show there uh but you know this is this is basically the death of fiat uh, around the world uh what i would be very interested to see though is like how can we uh, you know have because throughout history there's been multi-polar you know reserve currencies kind of thing you know they're used in uh, certain subsections of the world like, can we get around that? You know, like, will there be like Litecoin and others that are, you know, using that to, you know, because a monopoly, a one world currency has never, you know, really existed in the world. Like not even the dollar has been a one world currency. What do you think about that tone and, and Max? If, if I can take a quick swing at it, I think it'll converge on one currency. Uh, I think one global currency is the simplest configuration. And it's counterintuitive to us because for all the time that we've been alive, we've lived in this world of multiple currencies, fiat currencies. But that's not really a natural state, right? Like before there were fiat currencies, there were different monies, seashells and gold and silver. But that was kind of a function of like where in the world you happened to live and where those things happened to be available. Uh, and so now that we have this digital connectivity, uh, you know, the, the natural state of things is to kind of gravitate towards the simplest unit towards one money. The reason we haven't yet is because governments have kind of used violence to impose their will, like get people to use dollars, get people to use yen, pesos, and so on, and then fleece people on fees by controlling the exchange among all of those. And I think now with Bitcoin, with the separation of money and state and that's slipping out of their control it's a 100 percent bitcoin future i think all of the other cryptocurrencies literally all of the other public blockchains will fade away i think there are some promising 
valid use cases being attempted on other cryptocurrencies, like on top of Ethereum, there's some interesting DeFi stuff happening. But I think Ethereum is absolutely not going to be around in the future. I think those use cases are going to migrate over to the security of Bitcoin's blockchain. And it's going to be kind of where this internet of scarcity is built. I'll, and I'll, I'll add to that real quick in that uh, it, it may sound scary to have one world currency, but that's always been because someone was going to be in control of that one world currency. But with Bitcoin, no one is in control of that one world currency. And in fact, you kind of want that. Like, it's great that there's only one electric grid around the world and not multiples. Uh, it still sucks that there's like eight different plugs around the world. So you still can't travel with your laptop plug to the other side of the world and easily plug it in. So these are inefficiencies. They're not a good thing. It's insane that half the world drives on the opposite side of the road. Uh, now, how do you change that? I don't know. Uh, but once we have self-driving cars, it would make total sense to have the whole world drive on the same side of the road. Uh, but the problem is that you can't just get everybody to change. But because no one controls Bitcoin, this should not be um, a scary thing that people uh, should be scared of. And getting back to the corporations buying this, I mean, at a certain point, they're going to have a fiduciary duty to buy this. So, okay, you're one of these major conglomerates that has $100 billion, $200 billion of fiat sitting on your books, and it's doing nothing and burning a, a hole while Tesla and these other companies and MicroStrategy are putting more and more of their fiat into Bitcoin. And, they're, and because they announce it, then their stock price is going through the roof. Eventually, there's going to be, in my opinion, as you know, the fiduciary duty of the company's board of directors to start doing this. And then that's going to then only beget more and more and more. And let's face it, there is no way there's ever going to be a balanced budget. You can't actually balance the budget because then everything would collapse. And since, and, and if anyone goes to my YouTube channel, I have a video called why we're all slaves to central bankers. I mean, I was on the class when the national competition on the federal reserve. And it's just, once you realize that this whole entire, that we're basically nothing but high-tech slaves living, high-tech peasants living in this system, until you realize that you're just, you're not even, you're not even addressing the question. So anyone, and I was in 2016, a big Trump supporter, but as soon as the election was over, I instantly realized, and it was because of, you know, Ernest Hancock, I know that's where, you know, Tone Vey's, uh, you know, is, is, you know, has been on, you know, got his start from Ernie's show, but Ernie helped me, you know, see this. And I realized, you know, that, that Bitcoin really is the way to help, you know, end the Federal Reserve or ignore the Federal Reserve and take our own sovereignty back. Because if you're talking about all these other political football issues and you're not addressing the fact that I'm a slave because our money is backed by debt and the men with guns who can come here and kill you, until you're addressing that, you're not you're missing the entire window. And so that's why as soon as the election was over, I stopped paying attention to politics. I knew it was all bullshit and started paying attention more to cryptocurrencies. And unfortunately, the price of cryptocurrencies skyrocketed. So I didn't get in as much as I'd like to. And then I lost my job for promoting cryptocurrencies. But, uh, but with that said, I absolutely think it's going to be a fiduciary duty for people to, for companies to do that. And for anyone that wants to move their retirement over like Tone did, I have self-directed IRAs where you can have the actual private keys to your crypto and put it in a Roth IRA, which was a brilliant move that uh, Tone had just mentioned earlier. And then you have tax-free potential gains. And so that's just, you know, a beautiful thing. And, and, and 
as me being on the forefront of doing this, there are, there's no other financial planner doing this. And so I'm only one guy. And what about when every single person starts doing this? And then you're going to see when every single financial planner has one or 2%. I mean, I've got way more than that in my clients. So it's a good day today, but you're going to, in my opinion, you're going to see every financial planner doing this because the market is forcing them because their clients are going to other places and doing it and they want to have their money. They want to be able to get a slice of this pie. And I think it's only a matter of time. Hey, Stephen, um, how do you substantiate the claim that Ethereum won't be around in the future? Uh, I mean, anything can happen. I've been humbled by technology many times, but I just have trouble seeing it meaningfully exist in, you know, 10 years from now, say. I think it'll collapse under its own weight and kind of gradually drift towards centralization. And the further and further it goes towards that direction, the less reason there is to use it as opposed to using to I want to believe you. Give me some, something to sink my teeth into. I think one interesting analogy, it's, it's imperfect as all analogies are, but um, an interesting thing to analyze in history is like the early days of the internet when there were a lot of different network protocols that were trying to compete to be the protocol of the internet. And most of the time, you know, uh, I think even like Silicon Valley culture conditions us right to be in a product mindset. And so we're always thinking like, you know, this thing is like MySpace and maybe the next thing is going to disrupt it like Facebook. And there's just like a new app coming out all the time. And so we're conditioned to keep looking for the next thing and the hottest new feature. And like this is today, but what's next week? And protocols and systems with strong network effects don't really come around as often and they don't behave the same way. Like once something with a strong network effect, like money comes around, which is the strongest network effect of any system in the world, it's really, really hard to, to compete. And so I think it's absolutely a winner take most. It's probably a winner take all game. And so in the same way that like in the late 80s, early 90s, there was like TCP IP, which is the protocol that the internet runs on today. Uh, but it was not obvious that that was going to be the case. There was like, there was Apple talk, there was NetBuoy, there was IPX, SPX. And like at the time there was this, there were all these different visions of like, oh, it'll be this multi-protocol future. And it was kind of contrarian to think that TCP IP would just run away with it and be the well, one, but that's exactly that what happened. Don't you think the great analogy, I, I like to use this myself when I explain it to people, is that it's like the arch is to engineering. I mean, how can you do better than an arch, right? You can't do better arches. than an arch, <laughs> right? So it's the best way, load-bearing structure. TCP is the best networking structure. Bitcoin is the best distributed currency. Period. Well, we created a yeah, block. Yeah, and, and I think like architecturally, like building up in layers is an underappreciated concept. Like that's how the internet had so much success is TCP IP came into existence and it got a foothold. And then it just like kept doing what, you know, what it did. It didn't change. It was just this predictable foundation that then people could build on top of at higher layers. That's a, and that's so that's what Bitcoin's base layer is now. It's this predictable foundation for people to build on. Yeah. yeah, no, the, the arch is an example. If we go geometrically, then like a, a hexagon is also like the best. There's a reason why like a beehive is, uh, you know, in hexagons because they have to maximize uh, mm -hmm. the amount of honey while minimizing Agreed. the amount of wax uh, to store that honey. And it's just a naturally occurring. It, it's emergent. It's yeah. emergent. Yeah. And uh, but, but I'm going to answer it slightly differently in that. 
it's not whether Ethereum will last or not. It's whether Ethereum is interesting or not. And to me, Ethereum is not interesting at all. And the reason why Ethereum is not interesting to me is because I don't see it as a decentralized network. Ethereum has uh, leaders. Uh, you can name the leader, but there are other leaders. But more importantly, it goes back to the point I said earlier, where as long as I see Bitcoin as having a large amount of nodes that are in control, the users are in control. Ethereum doesn't have that because it's almost impossible for a user to run his own node to validate his own transactions. So a user of Ethereum is always at the mercy of a higher power processing his transactions. And that's why Ethereum is as interesting to me as a Microsoft SQL server. Uh, to me, they're equally interesting. It's just that Ethereum happens to create its own money for no reason whatsoever. Uh, they could just you know, charge their users and have a better Microsoft SQL server. Awesome. Uh, guys, I got to jump. I just want to say thank you very much for the conversation. Uh, very educational, and I enjoyed this. Have a good Thanks. night. Coming. Thank you. Good talking, man. Hey, and, and just to let you know, after the, the show, all the participants, they get links to the video, audio, and everybody. It's open source. I like So it's kind of like in the idea of Bitcoin. All the Unit Unwanted shows when we started it, uh, I had this passion of keeping everything open source. Share it anywhere you want. Getting these conversations out there are much more important than trying to... Uh, force traffic to any specific spot. So everybody's going to get the the show and, and you can post it anywhere you would like. So uh, yeah, we'll send that I gotta, to I got to get going as well, but uh, thanks for all the unconfiscatable shout outs. Uh, that's, uh, I actually, I own that domain. So uh, feel free to check that out. Uh, unconfiscatable.com. Uh, and uh, uh, thanks guys. It was fun. It was uh, definitely a great show. Uh, but I got to get going as well. But I'm Tone Vase pretty much everywhere. So you guys can just find me on YouTube or Twitter or anywhere else. Thanks, thank, thank you, Tone. Yeah. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. It's thanks, awesome. So I, yeah, I, learned, I learned that Ethereum is the Betamax of cryptocurrencies. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, Tone, can I ask you just, just one thing? So, yeah. I, you know, I... You know, found out about Bitcoin was probably a dollar through different Daily Paul forums. And then, you know, outside of then, you know, I just graduated and was in the rat race and doing a bunch of other stuff. And then all of a sudden I found out about Ethereum and then I sort of realized, oh, wait, there's other things you can do than just trade fake. Now I'm talking about from a you know early on perspective, not the perspective I have now. There's more that you can do than just trade fake money back and forth and having dApps built on top of things. Now, do you see Bitcoin getting to the point where, because I know Vitalik initially tried having uh, basically smart contract language being run on Bitcoin and then decided to move and, and basically build Ethereum. So do you see that type of architecture eventually being built on top of Bitcoin and outside of like colored tokens and things like that? But do, well, do you it already, it, it's already there. Uh, it's a side chain called Liquid. Uh, Liquid has very similar functionality to what, uh, what Ethereum has. Uh, the difference is, is that, you know, Bitcoin is not... Uh, a centralized institution like a lot of these other blockchains are. So no one is really incentivized to promote this stuff. Uh, so it takes a while for people to catch on uh, what the best option is when there aren't that many promoters of that option. Like, for example, uh, everyone wants to, you know, sell you a scam because they're going to get rich from it. But no one is going to get rich by promoting the liquid sidechain on top of Bitcoin. 
Now, going back to Vitalik for a second, uh, the way Ethereum was born was Vitalik was asked to write a technical paper, like a white paper, uh, for a project called Color Coins. And I forgot who asked the question about will there be the stock uh, stock market on top of uh, Bitcoin one that day. Was also, that was also me. Yeah. Uh, that, that was you? That was also me, yeah. yeah. So that was the original, that was a project called Color Coins. It was way before its time. And the idea of color coins back in 2013 or very early 2014, uh, but probably back to 2013, was, hey, what if we take one Bitcoin, uh, we subdivide it into 100 million Satoshis, that's the lowest unit, and we assign, say, one share of Apple stock to each Satoshi. And now the entire Apple's market cap is represented by a single Bitcoin, and you can trade in uh, one 100 million units. And this was a project called Color Coins. And uh, Vitalik was asked to write uh, you know, a technical paper about this. And he came back with something that wasn't exactly what they wanted. And they're like, no, no, this is not what we want to build. And Vitalik said, well, this is the future. And he went and built Ethereum from it. Uh, and uh, they told him back then that this is not going to work. There is a reason why we're not doing it this way. Uh, and the Color Coins was just way ahead of its time. Uh, there was no underlying uh, structure to build it, but that project will eventually come back. Now that we have the Lightning Network, uh, there'll be a Lightning Network on top of Liquid. So you convert your Bitcoin into Liquid Bitcoin to function on the Liquid sidechain. And then you can have a Lightning uh, implementation on top of that to make it completely um, subdivisible. Uh, a lot of projects do come ahead of their time. Uh, uh, one movie I would recommend if you haven't seen it, is called um, General Magic. Uh, if any, has anybody seen the movie General Magic? Everybody heard of the company called General Magic? No, you got to check out that documentary. Uh, in the late 80s, uh, a couple of guys from Apple uh, decided to build the modern day cell phone. Uh, they had a schematic and everything, and they started building the modern day smartphone uh, in the late 80s. And the smartest people got together to build it, and they completely missed the internet. Uh, and their project failed because it was way ahead of their time. But you're watching these video from the 80s of like this woman standing in front of a giant rack of servers in the 80s. And they're like, so how small will this touch screen eventually be? And she's like, you'll probably wear it on your wrist like a watch. And literally stated in the 1980s. Uh, they tried to build it. It's an amazing documentary uh, on that company. So check that out. Uh, this stuff eventually got built, but on top of the internet, not pre-internet. Yeah. So, so question then becomes like, will you know Bitcoin become Internet 3.0, or will it be like kind of a monetary build on top of it? So, like that's the two kind of uh, big things we're talking about: Bitcoin being money, but then is it really like Internet 3.0? Uh, it maybe uh, it's not that it's internet 3.0, but uh, Bitcoin still relies on the internet in order to function. But uh, as long as the mining stays strong, it is an immutable uh, layer. And if you require the security of an immutable layer, you may want to utilize the internet. The problem is most of the stuff that we do does not require an immutable layer. Uh, putting real estate on the blockchain makes absolutely no sense 
because you don't actually own your real estate. The government of your nation owns your real estate. And if <laughs> your nation is taken over by, you know, another tyrant, then the fact that your real estate is on a blockchain is completely irrelevant. So uh, even things like, like I said, real estate don't need to take up space on this immutable ledger. Uh, because space there is very valuable and it just comes down to money. Now, uh, if you need to create trust, uh, then yes. Um, uh, how long before people will trust the stock market on top of the Bitcoin infrastructure versus uh, being governed by the United States? I don't know. Might take, a, uh, might take uh, two more decades, might be next year. Uh, is Bitcoin capable of doing that next year technologically? Probably not. It probably needs close to five to 10 more years to technologically achieve something like that. But will people trust it more? Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't want to put my medical records on the blockchain because that means I have the ability to permanently lose my medical records, which I have done on numerous occasions, by the way. I have, sure, I have no idea where my medical records are because my last doctor ended up in prison. So I have no. So that practice is shut down. Uh, but uh, uh, so I've already lost them uh, fully once. Not that there was anything there. I've never had, you know, I barely go to a doctor anyway. Uh, but the point is, there are things that don't belong on an immutable ledger. And so far, other than unconfiscatability of money, it's very difficult to, uh, and I'm a Bitcoiner, and even I have challenges providing a use case other than money that needs to be this immutable and this censorship resistant. Uh, if you are in a nation that has some kind of a uh, rule of law uh, in place. And, uh, and if you're in a nation that doesn't have a rule of law, then you barely have internet there anyway, and it's totally you know, censored and controlled. So it, it's, it's challenging to come up with use cases right now, but we'll see what happens in the near future as America is losing its you know, 100 year grip as the world reserve currency and the only superpower. What happens next? I don't know. But Bitcoin has had this unique ability to solve its problems just in time. You yeah, know, reinvent itself, yeah. just in time. Like, like, I'm sorry, but um, like five dollar transactions are not a priority for anyone in the Bitcoin space right now. Unconfiscatability, censorship resistance, making sure that there isn't a hostile takeover, getting taproot in, getting in some more privacy. There's just more important things. I know Mark Edge said yesterday there are all these transactions are happening on other chains, not the important transactions. All the, all the important transactions are happening on Bitcoin. So I really don't care about the $5 transaction right now, but when it's needed, Bitcoin will handle it. I do want to so thank the, uh, I do want to thank Kingsley's well, mom for just giving me a five dollar transaction on Float that app, but she said it cost five dollars. No, she really she really did. I wasn't even I wasn't trying to make a joke on uh, on Float, but uh, but but Tone, what about what about like Monero, something privacy coin? Do you see privacy coins having a, a use case? You know, given how uh, you know basically egregious totalitarian governments are around the world. I don't. I mean, Monero continues to drop in value against Bitcoin. Uh, does Monero have better on-chain privacy than Bitcoin? Yes, it does. 
but no one uses it. Like, like you can build the most private messaging app in the world, but if no one uses it, does it really matter how private your text messaging app is? Um, if like 20 people in the world are using your encrypted private messaging app, then the government knows which 10 people are communicating with each other. They may not know what they're communicating about, but they know who they are. Uh, getting in and out of Monero reduces all of, like removes all of your privacy uh, because so few people use it. You still need an on-ramp that can identify you. Uh, it, it doesn't make that much sense. Uh, Bitcoin will be private enough. It will never be as private as Monero but it will be private enough. Uh, uh, it will be private enough uh, in transactions when you need them. And the next upgrade in Bitcoin will make privacy easier to build on top of Bitcoin. Uh, wallets will have mixers in them. Uh, I mean, Bitcoin can have privacy as a second layer solution uh, and you will be able to use that. But there was a reason why Satoshi didn't add this complicated privacy in the underlying layer. For starters, it makes it a lot harder to audit the chain. Uh, like we know exactly how many Bitcoin there is. And while we're assuming how many Monero there is, the privacy of Monero makes it a little bit complicated and potentially scary that you may not know uh, if something is happening under the hood that you can't see. Uh, so there were reasons why he didn't make it uh, fully private. Also, uh, the fact that it is not fully private uh, is kind of like the Trojan horse where the government is complaining how private Bitcoin is. But at the same time, well, Bitcoin is not private. How often have you used Bitcoin trails to capture criminals? So you can't make the argument that Bitcoin needs to be banned because of its privacy, because mm -hmm. clearly it doesn't have enough privacy that you're able to utilize the fact that it's not private. So it's these uh, catch-22s that uh, have been somewhat beneficial in helping Bitcoin adopt. Matt, well said, and I, I got to bounce, um, but appreciate the discussion and you all having me on here. This was a blast. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it. Thank you. Matt, you, you, it, sound like, it looked like you had something to say real quick before Tone took yeah, off. Yeah, Matt, go ahead before I come up. Before I... Yeah, I, I would argue that the transparency part of Bitcoin was by design. Uh, oh, I don't yeah. think it was accidental. Uh, no, I think no. that that's what Satoshi had in mind. Um, it I, needed I to be transparent. I agree. Um, Satoshi needed uh, also um, like the big debate, the big 20, uh, well, not, not the 2017 debate, but the one that it's not going to be a debate, thank God. But uh, like the big thing is Schnorr signatures. Uh, that we're trying to just an encryption. Uh, it's like an encryption mechanism. Let me simplify things. Uh, I'm not even like that good of a developer to really explain it anyway. But why didn't Satoshi use that from the beginning? He knew what it was back then. It existed. The problem was back in 2008, nine, it was patented. And Satoshi made sure not to use anything patented inside inside of the Bitcoin code because he needed every advantage he can get. And if there was something patented in the code, then it's possible that every single early miner was committing a crime and he couldn't take the risk of something that small uh, hindering Bitcoin. And the Makes same sense. thing with building this ridiculous privacy layer underneath, uh, making it too private to potentially create a problem that you can't solve later. Uh, so yeah, I think the design was uh, absolutely genius the way he did it. 
And it's awesome the way it's progressing. Thank awesome. You. Th th thank you, Tone. I know we, we kept you uh, a lot longer. You said you weren't going to be on for two hours and you were running over. Thank, thank you, Tone. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Tone. So for people listening, okay, there might be people listening who want to invest in Bitcoin, right? Or want to buy Bitcoin, I should say. Uh, the people who are still on, what's the best way of going about it? Because somebody like myself, who probably contributed a little bit to uh, raising the value of Bitcoin, wasn't smart enough to buy some prior to the show. So if I want to do it after the show... How, what's the easiest way? Because there are people, that's a question I get a, a lot. It's like, okay, how do I buy a Bitcoin? And, and do I have to buy a full Bitcoin? And, and those type of things. Because I think that is a little deceiving too. People look at the price of Bitcoin, they're like, oh, I can't buy one now. I can't afford it. Obviously, that's not the case. Do you guys want to jump into some of those uh, people? Answer that question? Maybe Joe, Matt? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to give my two cents. Uh, I think that uh, for a lot of people out there, um, I think it was mentioned earlier, the concept of unit bias. You might see Bitcoin's unit price being so expensive and you say, oh shit, this is way out of reach. There's no way I can buy a whole Bitcoin. So you look towards one of the uh, shit coins. That being said, uh, Bitcoin is the standard and you can buy it down to up to eight decimal places. Okay. So you can buy a, a fraction of a Bitcoin. Earlier we, we sent... Uh, 1,000 Satoshis, Satoshis are the smallest unit of Bitcoin for 47 cents. We did that during this call earlier on, uh, Stephen and I. So the point I'm trying to make is that uh, you can buy Bitcoin as small as, you know, a dollar per transaction on some exchanges. Now, where would I recommend? I'm not affiliated with any of these exchanges, uh, but the ones that I would recommend, probably the most like consumer friendly that people have in their pocket right now is if you have Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin right now for as small as a dollar. And Cash App is, it's like a Venmo competitor. Um, I know it's kind of geographical if it's popular or not, but it is Bitcoin only and you can buy it there. What's neat about it and what's important feature of buying Bitcoin on these exchanges is the ability to take the Bitcoin off the exchange. So uh, our friends at Robinhood, uh, they've had a lot of you know notoriety over the past couple of weeks, uh, but you can buy Bitcoin on there, but you cannot withdraw it off of the exchange. So you're, if you buy Bitcoin, it's actually held within the walled garden at Robinhood. That's also the case uh, for our friends at PayPal. So they want to get your money. They want to keep it within their walled garden. Cash App is kind of unique in the sense that they're kind of that at scale network. You can take the Bitcoin off. Now I'm going to name drop another one that I'm just really excited about. It's River.com. Uh, they're Bitcoin only. And um, they're really competitive rates. And I think that you should give them a shot. If uh, you just want, if you don't care about peer-to-peer -peer transactions over Cash App um, and all that kind of slickness, if you just want to buy Bitcoin and accumulate over time, I think that's the way to go. Now, the, the second part of the question was, you know, how, how should I buy it? And I think that comes down to you as an individual. Um, I think as a Bitcoiner, the best time to buy Bitcoin was yesterday. And I have a hard time sitting on any sizable lump sum of cash because I want to accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible. Now, I know Bitcoin is very volatile, right, in terms of US dollar. But if you zoom out, and by zoom out, I mean, if you look at it on a longer time period scale, uh, Bitcoin over a four-year period, it's never gone down in value. So uh, with that being said, you know, if you have a sizable lump sum money, obviously reach out to a financial advisor and figure out what's right for you. But um, I would say, you know, like buy some Bitcoin, get off of zero, and then probably look into something, a concept called dollar cost averaging, DCA. That's the concept of kind of like 
uh, you know, set it and forget it on the rotisserie chicken uh, on your countertop. It's the idea of um, setting up kind of weekly or daily or even monthly buys so that you can put a portion of your paycheck towards accumulating Bitcoin because it will accumulate over time. And um, what's neat about it is on all of these different platforms, you can adjust that as uh, need be. So if like your conviction grows over time, you could perhaps accumulate more, dial that up a little bit or on all these platforms as well. If you, uh, you know, got a big lump sum and you want to buy it all immediately, you can do that as well. Uh, but I think the key thing that uh, listeners need to think about, and it's probably not something they care about day one, is the ability to take the Bitcoin off the exchange. Because at the end of the day, I think that what we're all really excited about is decentralization and self-sovereignty. And so mm -hmm. what is really empowering about Bitcoin is the ability to hold that Bitcoin yourself. That's the really powerful part. And, so, and that's where I, I'd like to put my few cents in here. Sure. <laughs> uh, I, I look at this kind of on a more higher level of the problem. I know we since specifically talking about Bitcoin today and cryptocurrencies, but I look at it more as a decentralization issue. And Bitcoin's just one more tool in decentralization. There are lots of other tools in decentralization. Uh, where would I buy Bitcoin? Get to know other people who do Bitcoin and buy it in person. That's my opinion. If you can find someone who's willing to let go of some, and the best the best uh, time to buy is when you see articles saying that Bitcoin's dead and when everyone no one wants it because as absolutely. a as a financial advisor, I had people coming to me late 2017 and I'm like and they're like, Hey, we just want to put everything to Bitcoin. I'm like, well, what do you know about Bitcoin? They're like, Well, nothing. It just the price goes up. I'm like, Well, you should probably you should probably get educated first. You should probably learn how to transact it. I am coming up with a course here in probably the next couple of days here. But anyways, you should I, I completely agree with Joe. You should be dollar cost averaging unless you're at a inflection point where everyone's saying that Bitcoin's dead and it's going to go to zero. That's, you know, the best time to buy is when blood's in the streets. And there is something called crypto fear and greed index. If you guys just, you know, type in, you know, in DuckDuckGo crypto fear and greed index. And if it's at something like a 10 or a 20, that's probably a pretty good indicator. That's a good time to get in. And, and, the, and the high side right now, I mean, you can't time this. I mean, I remember thinking that it was too expensive at a hundred because I just saw it go from, you know, a dollar to a hundred and back down. And it's just one of those things that it's because it's hard capped and because central banks around the world are going to keep printing money for the rest of our lives until they blow themselves up. There's it's in my opinion, there's pretty much no place for it to go, but up. However, it's going to be a very bumpy, very rocky, extremely volatile ride. And the weak hands who jumped in at in early, late, sorry, late 2017, a lot of them jumped right back out. And, and that's just the cycle of what happens. People need to get educated on this. And if you need to talk to a financial advisor, I'm probably the only one out there uh, that, that does this and has, you know, the street cred of, you know, willing to lose my job over this uh, three years ago, when at right after the price crashed, knowing that that was the best time to get in. But unfortunately, people only hit me up when it skyrockets, you know, 300%, not no one ever hits me up when it's, you know, when it, when it crashes, which is unfortunate, because that's always the best time to buy. And then if you do get rich off crypto, then I can also help you out doing the different trust strategies where you can legally avoid capital gains and help out the world and basically help out everybody except for the IRS. But I do have to get going. But I do appreciate Ricky and Charlie and everybody else having me on. This was an absolutely awesome, epic podcast, especially the fact that we are sitting here at an all time high and appreciate all the new listeners from tone that were uh, watching this. And, uh, you know, thank you guys for having me. Thanks. And, and thanks, Tim, for helping book some of the guests, too. We appreciate it. It's uh, it's awesome that this community has really become a community where everybody helps out. And uh, and I really do think we're we're making history, at least podcast history. Uh, so 
Yeah, thanks, Tim. I really appreciate it. Is thanks, there any Tim. any other like basic questions you think that we should ask before we wrap up? Because I know now because of all the popularity of of Bitcoin and like I said in, in like probably three hours ago that the show has uh, or the Bitcoin has been kind of a household name and people are constantly talking about it now. Um, you do get some of those uh, newbies who ask questions that might be obvious to many others, but to them it's like, okay, how does it have its value? How do I buy it? Like these things seem silly to some of us but it are it is questions that need to be answered so they have the confidence to take the next step and possibly uh you know join in on the bitcoin thing so um is there anything you think we didn't cover that we should for for those people anybody charlie charlie and i aren't really bitcoin experts so no i mean this is this is why i'm glad we yeah you're right we're not bitcoin experts um we um I, I mean i have no excuse for not being in bitcoin it's not like i wrote a fucking book with jeff berwick who is telling me to buy it every single day <laughs> um I, look i get it man it's awesome it's everything about it is great the only problem with it right now you can't buy is, lap dances is that if you've been watching it when it was at 4,000 and now it's 47,000 and you get that in your head and it makes you insane. And that's, and you go, I should have, would have, that to me is the biggest hurdle here. And, and also I think people, a lot of people maybe mistakenly think that you have to buy one full entire coin that's not dividable into smaller sections. But I think we, we address that and, and, and anyone that I think that's really serious about actually buying any, will figure that out pretty quickly in but i think it's great to have everyone in and 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 i want to thank joe for coming in because um you know his wife and i communicate on twitter and she's she's enthusiastic about it man she's she is all in on bitcoin and wants me to know about it and i know about it and i don't deny it and she is 100 correct i am in agreement with her i just can't make money appear in my bank account that i don't have if i did right. I, I would i'd be all in it yeah i'd just be like here here so so for me it's la- it's less of and i think a lot of people too it's less uh, uh an indictment on the functionality or 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 feasibility of bitcoin it's more like i just don't have the money right now you know right. so so there's certainly there's always going to be that but um, and and to be fair, when I did have the money for that, I picked gold and I picked silver and crypto is next. And I just right. kept thinking, well, next is there's always going to be a tomorrow for it. You know, right. it's never going to go from four thousand to forty seven thousand in like seven or eight months. Oops! Until it does, <laughs> I uh, I know? just watched an inordinate amount of World Economic Forum footage from the other week and there was a a they called it resetting digital currencies so that was the title of the panel and um the woman who opened it uh has the the first crypto network in africa and uh and she said uh and this is monday morning at the world economic forum uh the day before the gamestop thing happened she said uh because the theme for the wef was rebuilding trust she said we need to have a a massive shift in trust uh from the asset class from the traditional market to the digital market and then immediately there was a massive reason for the asset class to lose trust in the traditional market 
and, and they went on to talk about uh, the need for the WEF to sort of establish the one world cryptocurrency that we were discussing earlier. And I, I'm genuinely curious um, because I am, I'm dedicated not to, to like trying to build satellite networks of communities that are outside of major cities. And, and I would still like to be able to communicate and trade and all of that kind of good shit. Um, when the WEF, establishes their one world cryptocurrency does bitcoin is a a does the space still exist to fight back to maintain that as an exchangeable method of currency do does bitcoin get squeezed out because we're we're now talking about the office of management for most of the western world governments uh, and so it, it i i'm and look man i'm i'm for 100 for decentralization of absolutely fucking everything and think bitcoin is fucking fantastic i don't have enough yet but but uh yeah I, i'm learning i'm fucking new bro new uh, i'm glad i'm glad uh, you, you brought Charlie that up have, yeah go ahead Sorry, I got to I got to jump here in a few minutes. So uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Steve, because uh, I know it's something that's in my mind. And I, I kind of hesitated to comment earlier because I knew it would just create a shitstorm. Uh, but uh, I think that one, I, I one, I don't think that anything produced by a centralized institution will succeed. That's my first thought. And I think that's because they don't understand that they are the source of the distrust. And while they exist, they cannot they cannot reestablish trust mm. because it's the very institution itself that people don't trust, whether they're conscious of it or whether it's at an unconscious level. That's what I'm observing. Right. Second thing is every Bitcoin maximalist misses something, and that is there's no way in hell that you're going to get people from creating something else that I don't, I, everything I heard didn't fly with me. Yeah. I honestly believe Bitcoin right now is the best thing out there, but you are not going to stop people from experimenting with other stuff. Ethereum, whatever. It's not going to happen. I fuck with and, Ethereum because yeah. it's what Rockfin pays me in. Sure. You know, and, and then from that point, I've got to like shift and do, do what right. well, they pay Ray, well, which and, you and, then and, have to convert into Ethereum before you can do anything with it. And, really. It goes back to being an idealist about something, right? And they're right. I mean, I agree with them. But when it gets down on the ground and you're having to pay people, and we want to pay people daily, we don't want to do them every two weeks or or monthly. I can't do that and not. I know if I only get done once every two weeks, I'm downright pouty. Yeah. So it's like, I can't do that with Bitcoin. Come on, get real. I can't well, do that. You can, you know, <clears throat> sit in your ivory tower and say, no, the, the, I'm not, not interested. Who cares whether you're not interested? Right. This is a practical application. And what is the next thing that needs to happen with cryptocurrencies to really take off? It has to be used in daily operations. It can't simply be hodled forever. Mm? 
I think that that's a risk all by itself to sit there and hodl on Bitcoin. Yeah, it, you can, I can't buy groceries with Bitcoin. I can't pay, you know, uh, anyway, sorry to rant, but that's my two cents. No, but those are yeah. important points because it, it is one of those things at the moment. I, I get what Tone was saying that like, okay, why are you making, why, why complain about I can't buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin right now? Like that's not a huge issue and I get it. But I also see the other perspective of, well, if you really wanted to be the dominant thing, right? Like you need to be able to eventually do those things or people aren't going to completely. And that's really what we want. We want, if we really want to say, fuck the banks, fuck all these other, you know, governments and establishments that can manipulate the system and, and you know, that the systems are designed to be manipulated and for them to win and us to lose, then that's kind of what the future has to be. And I also see the perspective too of the fact that to say that no other coin will ever exist that's better, it's like saying prior to Bitcoin that nothing like Bitcoin would exist. You know, it's like it doesn't mm -hmm. make a lot of like you can't always you Absolutely can't see. Makes sense. That's right, and, and you can't tell the future, right? You can't you can't tell the future. Look, I, I am a maximalist, so I am pissed off at everything that you said. <laughs> but I mean, like. Look, I, I I respect what you're saying. I just like I like with every bone in my body disagree, and that's okay. okay. I think that's, that's the fine. point of this. And but what do you, you know, exactly respect? disagree with, like specifically, just so we? Well, can... I think that hodling is using Bitcoin. By hodling Bitcoin, I am preferring didn't holding my wasn't. value. No, you didn't. didn't say it wasn't. Okay, and I no, didn't say it wasn't uh, using Bitcoin. It is. I'm just saying that there are. Other things we need to be using Bitcoin for. Sure. If we're going to get this. Ultimately, I can hodl forever. What value does it give me if I can't spend it? That's what I was going to ask. Does the the velocity of it impact the value of it? Meaning, yeah. if there's no velocity, and and every and some people are holding on to it and they never trade it for anything. How do you even tell where the what the value is? Don't you need a certain velocity? Don't you need it going back and forth? Yeah, we need, we need, need a circular economy. We call that a Bitcoin circular economy. And okay. um, one of the things that people were talking about earlier as being a big challenge is uh, the latency. Latency of means speed of transaction. And so that's mm -hmm. on the Bitcoin base layer. And Matt, you're right. And everyone else is right. It's, it's not fast unless you pay an exorbitant transaction fee so anytime you want to write something to bitcoin if you want to make a transaction guys you got to pay to play okay this is a free market this is cutthroat capitalism so let's just get that out there if you want your transaction to be written there's a fee that is associated with that that being said that is the base layer um and i do think that uh the folks earlier who were saying that lightning network is not here i, I would disagree and for the listeners who aren't aware lightning network is a layer two uh, transaction layer built on top of the base layer. And so I'm not sure that they connected the dots earlier, um, no, but it would didn't. be the idea of uh, central banking and then like a visa payment layer sitting on top of it. Okay. That would be like the lightning network for Bitcoin. And during the pod, uh, Stephen and I transacted a thousand sats for it was 47 cents and it was instantaneous. We tried to do it. I tried to hold my phone to the screen, but the glare didn't work. Well, uh, I, but it's here. I know I, I know. I said I had to jump, but I, I am curious because I did want to ask this and I was kind of like, I was afraid to ask earlier. 
but uh, I, I, I've been aware of lightning, and I'm an advocate of I- lightning because I know what you're saying, that it does solve some of these problems. But one, the lightning team still says this is not ready for production use, don't they? Yeah, I think that they still say that it's beta, like Bitcoin okay. is still a project. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like in that same sense, uh, fiat currency is only 50 years old. Bitcoin's not 20 years old. Lightning Network was released in 2018. Um, now new. we're seeing some really neat projects like uh, Strike, which I'm not sure if you guys have followed in the news, but NFL player Russell, Russell Okung, through Strike, he's going to get a portion of his paycheck through Strike, direct deposited to his bank account. And uh, Strike has rolled out some really neat things uh, to where via the Lightning Network, you're able to pay people per second over the Lightning Network based off. So we're going to see another question. economy powered on Lightning Network. Yeah. I, and I am really interested in Lightning because I do lectures with people on crypto and trying to educate them on crypto. And I've always present that Lightning represents a solution to a lot of problems. And, but my question is now, at this moment, if I wanted to pay my staff using Lightning Network, could they collect just right off the bit the blockchain or would they have to have a different wallet to do it? Yeah, I mean, like, so quick answer is that uh, Layer 2 does require a Lightning wallet. Um, I think it is kind of complex, but we're getting there, Matt. Okay. I think so it's, that- not, it's, there, it's almost there. Yeah, sure. I think the way to look at it is that Bitcoin's base layer is like a savings account and that um, I would see Lightning Network mm-hmm. like a checking mm-hmm. account for smaller transactions. So for me personally, if I was getting a paycheck, if you're paying someone you know, for a two-week period, I would want a, a Bitcoin transaction. I wouldn't want it in Lightning. I'd want that to go straight to cold storage in uh, one of my hardware wallets. Um, now, if I'm going to buy a freaking latte... I don't want to wait 10 minutes, so I'm going to put it on Lightning Network. Uh, but I think the user interface problem, it's, it's getting a lot easier. And we're seeing wallets that can handle either transaction natively by scanning the QR codes. So it's, it's getting there, Matt. But I mean, yeah. again, this was white papers released in 2018. And look how rapidly. Uh, like you say, I was reading this stuff back in 2018, and sure. I was excited about it. Uh, my next question is, okay, we got to have our own wallet for it. In order for me to pay, I work in developing nations. Sure. In order for it to come out, man, it's a lot. It's very easy to in-cash Bitcoin or Litecoin into pesos. It's it's really easy here. Yeah. Uh, no problem. Not like the States. It could be a lot harder in the States, I think. Uh, well, that means that I have to find someone who supports a Lightning wallet that they can cash out into spendable money because they can't. Nobody's trading in yeah, it's, it's a tough challenge. And yeah. I've I brought up Strike already. And this is kind of like our darling company for Bitcoin that we're really excited about. And one of the reasons we're so excited is because the founder is like 23 years old and he's a fucking genius. His parents own like pot dispensaries in Colorado. They uh, were like founders on the Chicago um, uh, stock exchange. So they understand finance, financial markets. They have this libertarian strain in them. Anyway, the reason I bring them up is because one of the use cases for Strike is uh, global remittances. So mm-hmm. for people in emerging current or third world countries uh, with maybe family members in the U.S., one of the biggest use cases is sending money back home. 
and you got to pay the middleman so much money. There's in many cases in some of these really shitty parts of Latin America, there's like Mm -hmm. gangs that operate these fucking like Western Union depots and they will beat your ass if you come out of there and they will steal your cash. Uh, So one of the things that they're trying to solve uh, with Strike is global remittances. So they've partnered with Bittrex, which is a global uh, crypto uh, exchange and they are allowing uh, global remittances. So it'll transfer in and out of um, Bitcoin from U.S. dollar into like U.S. tether or even to native currency that they can hold in their native country. So from the U.S., you can spin up a, um, a strike wallet and declare your local currency so that you can hold it on your end. But I mean, like, look, it it's a challenge. And I think that we're still early, you know, getting people to accept Bitcoin. I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. People are going to want to hold Bitcoin more than anything else. It's just... It's just well, a matter of time. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I'm all on board with using Bitcoin, having it a long-term storage, but I want to start doing something now. I, I would recommend you, if you want to get started with uh, Lightning, download a Lightning wallet, and you can literally deposit your Bitcoin main chain to a Lightning wallet, and you can have Lightning Satoshis. See, the, the other thing that I, I had, didn't bring it up in the show, but uh, my company... Uh, Content Safe is also sponsoring projects for uh, mobile computing. So, like, we're building out these units with small. Right now, we're using Raspberry Pis. We could switch to some other tech later, and we're going to be able to house things like IPFS nodes and other types of decentralized tech. And I know that Lightning nodes are something that might be viable to put on one of these, perhaps. Maybe. Yeah, we've got a uh, emerging class of um, hardware, I guess, node software stacks that are being built um, that are tour enabled from day one that you can spin up a full node, a lightning node. And even uh, th- there's companies that are emerging that are building, uh, you know, first class uh, privacy enabled nodes. So you can have your own private cloud that's behind Onion and Tor uh, technology. Exactly so, I mean, like, what we're looking the Bitcoiners. For are all about this. You guys want mm-hmm. decentralization. You want to say, fuck you to the state. Fuck you to central banking. This is what Bitcoin is about. And Matt, I hear you. I think that there's challenges, but it's getting better very, very quickly. And I would well, just- I'm not, I'm you, definitely not walking away. Matt, uh, download I, I, the wallet, mm-hmm. connect with me on Twitter, and I'll send okay. you some Bitcoin over uh, uh, Lightning Network, and you'll see how amazing and how fast it is. You're going to cool. be blown away. Cool. cool. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I got to run. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Matt. Really Are you ready to wrap it, Ricky? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to have uh, this time with you guys. You guys are rock stars. Oh, I'm glad you were able to jump on. It was it was when it, when we started talking about doing the crypto show, I was like, I know somebody that wants me to talk about crypto. It's your yeah. wife. There's <laughs> one fan out there, Clancy, my wife. Yeah, she's a huge fan, but... Um, you guys had some rock stars. I think that they can probably elaborate um, better than me. They've been around longer. Uh, that's their day job is talking about it. But uh, there's a there's an army and a legion of Bitcoin true believers, maximalist out there. And uh, we're not selling our fucking Bitcoin. These central bankers can shove it up their ass. All these corporate types are going to be coming trying to take our Bitcoin and they're not going to get it. You're still early. Bitcoin is designed to pump forever. And uh, number go up, guys. So th- this is our one chance. This is our like 
um, chance to take a stand against centralization. Well, so you brought something up that I, I thought was interesting because uh, I don't think we, maybe we did, but did we talk about how all the Bitcoin's not actually mined yet? Right. And that's how actually they create more Bitcoin. Right. First, because I think some of these things, because we had so many people that are so intelligent on the topic, how is Bitcoin made? If we want to just, if we can kind of answer that somewhat quickly, because people ask that question, that is a typical question for somebody who's not familiar with it. Like, where does it come from? And, and really, yeah. you know, the other thing we can get into too is how it's not all mined yet and it's not all available quite yet. So, Bitcoin is mined on an algorithm. It's on a supply schedule. Approximately once every 10 minutes, a block is mined and a reward or Bitcoin is given to the miner who finds this Bitcoin. It's way too technical. Uh, there's like 18.5 million Bitcoin that had been mined since its inception back in 2009. Um, the way the supply curve goes is that once every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that's mined each block is cut in half. So the last technical Satoshi of Bitcoin will be mined in the year approximately 2140. Uh, that's because uh, right now it's 12 and a half Bitcoin is uh, rewarded each block. Next cycle, it'll uh, be cut in half to 6.25 Bitcoin. After that, 3.125. After that, one point whatever. Uh, so every four year cycle. So it literally creates the squeeze of amount of new Bitcoin that's available to the market to purchase. So I hope that wasn't too long-winded, but to answer your question, 18.5 approximately million have been mined and every day about 900 new Bitcoin are mined. Uh, so the amount of uh, Bitcoin that's available at any given time on the market is around uh, 2 million Bitcoin. The rest of that Bitcoin, so uh, 16 million, 16.5 million is sitting in hodlers' hands or in their wallets, not on exchanges not for sale. So there's actually a very small amount of Bitcoin that is for sale at any given time. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we uh, Steve, any, any questions you might have real quick before we wrap it up? No, I was just really stoked to see you uh, had Vanessa Bealy on. She's a, she's, oh, she's a friend. Yeah. She was on the Ricky's, last. Ricky's buddies with her. Yeah. She, you had her on too, Steve. Didn't you just have her yeah, on? Yeah. She was on again on Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love Vanessa Billy. She, she's awesome. Yeah, she's, yeah, we had her on the Union of the Unwanted. The last, uh, we did an international was edition. Was she the uh, doctor? That? No, no, that's uh, Judy Mikovich. Because oh, we Judy, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I that no, one. yeah, Vanessa's a, she's a journalist who is in Syria when we had her on Union of the Unwanted. I mean, she's like, well, I got to go because I only get this much time for electricity. We're like, whoa. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, she's not messing around. And then I just had her on the Ripple Effect podcast too. Yeah, she she's, she's awesome. She's, uh, I mean, if you listen to a lot of the alternative media stuff like you know steve show or last american vagabond or you know she's on mint press news and and corbett's show i mean she's really one of the most respected journalists uh, i'm a huge fan of her i mean she when she's actually in you know the countries and talking to the people and Front you know she's she one of the people bbc4 radio spent a ridiculous amount of money on a, a piece that was stroking a series that was stroking the white helmets and in it they made sure to uh unleash a just 
relentless smear campaign against Vanessa and against Steve Bartlett and against the former uh, UK ambassador to Syria, Peter Ford, and anyone who has dared speak a shred of truth, let alone the volumes of work that Vanessa's produced on the white helmets. Um, yeah, she exposed them completely, you know, and, and obviously when you uh, when you fight against the elite, you know, that smear campaigns, campaigns start. So, Guys, it, Bitcoin fixes this. This is she, what I say whenever I listen to all y'all's podcast. Bitcoin fixes, uh, uh, it burns when IP. Does that Bitcoin fix that? You can, yeah, because it'll probably lower your time preference. You'll probably take care of yourself better. I can probably think a way to connect it to Bitcoin fixing it. I think I think it was from the lap dance, but uh, you might be right. <laughs> See, if Bitcoin you, fixes that, too. If you were on a Bitcoin standard, you would not be throwing sats at strippers. Let me tell you about it. Hopefully, hopefully my wife's not. way God. too valuable. I live in Massachusetts. That's Strip fiat clubs, lifestyle. Strip clubs are definitely not open in Massachusetts. Nothing's open in Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, but, how long? Uh, this is the real question. How long till strippers take crypto? I don't know, man. I th- I, maybe they that's have what you got to do. You got to go to Vegas on their ass. You got to open the first crypto strip bar. That's it. Because it Vegas is where you could pioneer that. I fi- I knew I knew we were going to have a breakthrough in this episode. The cam girls are taking it, guys. It's a it's how do we get oh, the I'm physical sure gals? I think it's going to be either chips or they're going to have QR code stickers or tattoos on their asses and. Um, Hell it's yeah! Exciting new world. Just scan your, your lightning. Uh, Tattoo that QR code like right on your taint. <laughs> I wasn't looking. You tell your wife you weren't looking. You were paying her. It's like I was right? trying to make a transaction. I wasn't looking over there. I was. How uh, else was I supposed to tip her? <laughs> <laughs> it's where her QR code was, honey. <laughs> we are fixing all the world's problems. We are. All that the hard hitting questions and comments were at the end of the show. I hope you guys uh, stuck around. <laughs> but uh yeah. yeah if you guys want to plug your shows real quick steve and and joe and then let everybody know where they can connect with you guys and if they want to yeah sure uh slownewsdayshow.com is the website it's got the full archive uh it's got the archive of the free assange vigil series um and it is either has or is getting this week uh, links to everything else. The uh, Rockfin, YouTube, Live Discord, Odyssey, uh, wherever else. We're, I think we're a couple other places. Not to, I'm not even sure anymore. Um, slownewsdayshow.com. And I am at slownewsdayshow on Twitter. Um, Joe Rogers, at underscore Joe Rogers. I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. I work at bitcoinmagazine.com. Uh, we got a big conference coming up in Miami in June. So come down and be free in uh, Miami. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, but hey, I, my uh, one thing that I would like to say is that Bitcoiners in general, uh, DMs are open, ask questions because it is complex uh, and it is a deep and winding rabbit hole. Uh, but don't be scared because everyone had to learn some way. And there's a, there's a bunch to learn. And um, if you do go down this path, I think that it would be probably a net positive. Uh, generally, the people that I know who have gone this way, it's been a net positive in their life. Awesome. Well, the DMs are open. I, all everybody else who uses other types of coins are going to send you guys uh, dick pics, just letting you know. Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> get used to them. <laughs> get used to them. But uh, but thanks again, and of course Charlie from Macroaggressions, and uh, of course the Union of Unwanted. So and buy his yep. books, support this guy, and um, yeah. 
And so thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Like I said uh, earlier, I will send you guys the links to the video and audio and all that stuff. So feel free to share it and post it anywhere you want and uh, get these conversations out there. I think they're super important. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Have this a great awesome. night. See you, everybody. Bye now. Thank you. Take care. Believe in the ripple effect.